Welcome to another special edition of Gender Critical Story Hour with Amy and Esme. We recorded this episode on September 17th, just days prior to the start of Amy's disciplinary hearing before the British Columbia College of Nurses and Midwives. The allegation? Knowing there's a biological difference between females and males. But that's an episode for another day, after the witch trial has concluded. The impetus for this episode was an explosive story that Anna Slats, editor-in-chief of Redux magazine, had broken just the day before. Ontario high school teacher seen wearing massive prosthetic bust class. The story immediately went viral in both the corporate and independent media internationally. Well, of course it did. The bizarre situation sits at the intersection of absurdity, public policy, gender identity, feminist theory, and child safeguarding. Whether to express ridicule or outrage, this story has absolutely everyone talking. And talk we did. This is our longest episode to date. Also joining us to discuss a few more completely insane gender ideology stories were Mia Ashton, contributor at The Post Millennial, and Heather Mason, founding member of COSBAR, as we asked, how far can they go? Are we reaching peak trans? So strap in, ladies and gents, because this episode is, well, huge. Hello, it's Esme, and I'm here with Amy Ham. Yeah, and we are in a Twitter space right now, um, and we welcome you, and uh, thanks for listening. We have uh, some of our wonderful sister colleagues here today to talk about uh, some of the craziest, bonkers uh, stories that have emerged recently about uh, gender identity ideology and the kind of crazy things that are going on right now. And um, before we get into it, uh, I just wanted to check in with you, Amy, because you have something really big happening next week, and I believe it is on which day does it start? It starts on Wednesday, the 21st. So it is, yeah. uh, it's my disciplinary hearing with the BC College of Nurses and Midwives uh, about two years after they started investigating me for my alleged transphobia outside or my my conduct outside of work I'm sure the people in this space have heard about it but anyway so this the first three days of the hearing are this coming week and the last four days are at the end of October and legal things tend to go quite slowly so in terms of hearing a decision it will probably be early in the new year hopefully early in the new year it's still still going to be quite a process but I am quite nervous to start the hearing but I'm I also feel good in a way I think that it's about time that it finally gets aired publicly and I'm I'm confident that we this will have a benefit for Canadian women and for our sex-based rights and for free speech um and and just uh, you know on a personal level of course it would be nice to get some vindication for having 
basically being defamed for the past two years by my regulatory body. This is a massive thing that you've been um, laboring under for since last year, and it kept being delayed and delayed and delayed, and that in and of itself has got to be just um, excruciating, much like, uh, you know, if you're scheduled to go in for surgery or, you know, you're nervous about flying and you and they keep delaying your flight and you just kind of, you know, keep keep waiting. So I'm sure that's just like added immeasurably to the stress that you're under as well. It does. It's definitely a matter of the process being the punishment, hopefully the only punishment. (laughs) I mean, I've said this many times now. I will not be accepting any form of punishment from the college if they attempt to do anything. Even if they said your license is suspended for a single hour, I would say no. It will go to appeal. I will take it all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. I don't accept that a woman can be punished in Canada for talking about women's rights in her private time. Just, it's like, hell no. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not laying down. I'm not bending over. And everyone, I just, everyone who's been supporting me on Twitter in, and also in real life, but it's meant so much because I really don't know how after two years I would still be standing without knowing that I have all of these women and men who are behind me and just reminding me that this is about reality and it's about women's rights because it, it is really easy to get broken down when you're under this kind of immense pressure, you're under a microscope, you're being investigated people treat you very differently at work. Some people won't even make eye contact with me. Um, It's humiliating and it's hard to, you know, aside, I've been, uh, I've taken more than two months off in the last two years, um, kind of stress leave time. But for the most part, I'm just still working my job every day. I have two young boys to take care of. Um, And it's, it's not easy being under this pressure and just feeling um, like my reputation is shit. And um, it it is, it's very humiliating. So I just want to get this over with and thank God this week it's finally starting and that I have such amazing lawyers, Lisa Bildy and Karen Bastow. They're both amazing. Yes, they are. They're, they're super amazing. And uh, they're fighting on so many different fronts for uh, truth and reality and freedom of speech. Um, they are just doing just amazing work. And I think that they, they, they need to be, uh, they need to be rewarded more often with, um, with praise too. And you, you're, you're always so good about, um, about doing that, Amy. Um, but they're, they're just working so hard. Um, yeah. So let's, let's, uh, let's jump in. Uh, we have Mia Ashton, who is also uh, in, she's a spokeswoman for COSBAR, Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights, and most recently has joined the team at the Post Millennial, write, writing on uh, gender identity ideology uh, for that publication, and um, is basically our specialist in what's going on with the uh, with the children's um, issue in terms of medicalizing children with uh, gender identity. 
and so we have Mia. We we have Anna Slatz, who is uh, the uh, co-founder and editor in chief of uh, Redux uh, magazine online, and uh, has been doing a lot of work in this sphere for a long time. And um, we have Heather Mason, also a spokeswoman with Cosbar and with uh, Strength and Sisterhood, and uh, working on the prison issue and uh, working every single day for giving a voice to the voiceless in the prison. And I want to, speaking of uh, Lisa Bildy, she had been invited, but I but she couldn't uh, be at any of our spaces in the in recent times because she's so busy. Um, yeah. But I do want to cover off, first of all, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about the, um, the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal um, and uh, the fact that uh, Pamela Buffone uh, brought against uh, the school board in Ottawa uh, a, a complaint because her daughter uh, was extremely, who was six years old at the time, was extremely uh, disturbed by the gender identity that was being taught in the school, in her classroom. And her takeaway and what the teacher was saying about gender identity is that girls don't exist and um, and girls and boys don't exist, essentially. And um, so Mia's been and so that went recently in front of the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal. And uh, they found that the school and the teacher did nothing wrong in um, disseminating this anti-scientific um, gobbledygook to the children. And it was, you know, they're right. And they, they just basically doubled down on it. Now, Mia, um, she uh, covered that. She was actually at the tribunal and has written about it uh, for uh, the post-millennial. Um, and I wanted to have her speak about that. And there's another couple of stories that are really uh, quite um, quite disturbing that have come up. And I follow them under... Uh, give them enough rope and they will dot, dot, dot. Um, it seems that as the trans uh, activism goes on and on, um, they uh, feel emboldened because, of course, our governments um, are supporting them with money and praise and um, resources. They feel emboldened to, to go uh, crazier and crazier and more outrageous. And they have a lot of cheerleaders as well in, in, amongst the general population of people who think that they're progressive and woke and, you know, um, loving and kind. Um, so most recently there was um, an outrageous story going back a couple of weeks ago about the, um, the activist who decided that it would be a really good idea to take a bunch of uh, bottles of urine to a government office or a NGO's office, I think it was, and uh, pour them uh, all over himself as he wore a gorgeous sparkly dress and a duck mask. Yes, you heard that right. So um, I know, Anna, you've, you've written about it. Um, <laughs> let's get your thought. Like, what do you think about that? What, what how does it, like, how do we get here? How did and and the fact that this is even considered a, a, a you know a form of activism at this point? Anna, Can welcome. I just add a, a little bit. Yeah, more go ahead, Amy. Is yeah. The, um, the Equality and Human Rights Commission. Yes. Often 
marches in Europe. And um, basically the, the protest happened because this commission had been accused of being transphobic for promoting the use of single sex spaces, which is perfectly legal. And it, and it is also legal in Canada. We still have sex based rights and it would be, this would kind of be akin to like Vancouver rape relief, which won at the Supreme court of Canada, the right to not allow biological males into their rape shelter regardless or to employ them despite how they identify. So this the public discourse about it often gets turned into it's transphobic they're breaking the law they're discriminating against me because of my gender identity um and and this is the thing is people deny that this is the clash of rights that we're always talking about yes when a lot of countries including canada enshrine gender identity into law and into human rights codes then it opens the door for these policies, but that's why we're fighting. That's why Cosbar exists is we do still have sex-based rights. Um, but of course, if you see, if you watched Vice report on this, they're, they're not going to get into that. They're just um, congratulating this disgusting man who was wearing a sheer dress that you could, you could see his dick even before he dumped stale piss on himself, but it became even more um, visible after he dumped bottles of stale piss on himself in public. Those many of the bottles looked like, uh, as you noted, and I did too, that uh, they were dehydrated. <laughs> that dehydrated looked like very healthy. <laughs> but kidney disease. Which yeah. I, as a, yeah, what I mentioned was, you know, if you taking synthetic estrogen is actually quite bad for your kidneys. So I think these dudes really need to get a medical checkup make sure their kidneys are okay. Yeah. Um, the nurse knows. The nurse knows, right? <laughs> oh, God. You're just doing your job for keeping people healthy. Uh, and uh, Anna, let's get you into the conversation. How you doing? Good. How are you? I am good. I hope you're drinking because I'm drinking. Because oh, I'm yeah. Drink because <laughs> uh, but I actually didn't write on this story. Redux actually, mm. um, we, we had actually something in the drafts because we had looked into this individual a little bit further. Unfortunately, we never actually got around to uh, being able to publish it because we had so much else on our plate and we are an extremely tiny team. But something mm. that's very important about the story, and this is particularly what stood out because obviously I'm aware of it, um, was that what Amy said was correct. So it was a protest outside the Equality and Human Rights Office in London. But it was specifically in response to the fact that the, um, the commission um, had a, a leak. There had been a leaked proposal a couple of months prior um, in which they had been floating the idea like it's not even something that was being put into action quite yet, but they had been floating the idea that um, they would look into protecting certain spaces, including um, washrooms, changing rooms and the like, um, as single sex insofar as a, someone must have a gender recognition certificate to access it. So they were going to allow trans-identified males into those spaces, but they had to have a GRC. And GRCs are not particularly difficult to get. I learned that from Dr. Kate Coleman of uh, Keep Prison Single Sex UK. 
Um, she said it takes roughly uh, two years. Um, well, not even really two years. You just have to have been, quote unquote, living as your preferred gender for two years. You also have to have a diagnosis of gender dysphoria and you pay a five pound fee. It's very nominal. Uh, so they're not particularly difficult to get. But these activists were protesting against this, this proposed policy that would basically restrict males from accessing female spaces uh, unless they had a gender recognition certificate, which really tells you a lot because that's basically saying um, we, we shouldn't actually have to be trans by any actual measure. <laughs> by any actual measure, we shouldn't actually have to be trans to access women's spaces. We, we just simply need self-identification. If I feel more comfortable in a woman's space, then I shouldn't be able to go there. I shouldn't be required to have any sort of a diagnosis of gender dysphoria. I shouldn't be required to um, have, you know, lived even as a woman for two years. I should just not have to have any of that. That is what they were protesting against, which I think is really saying something, isn't it? It is. They, they want unrestricted self-ID, much like we have in Canada. Well, that's what we have de facto with, you know, our Human Rights Act, right? A, a man can wake up in the morning and decide that he will uh, enter women's spaces, and if anybody gives him guff, he'll just say, well, it's my, and doesn't even have to, quote unquote, present as a woman, can walk in and say, you know, looking for all intents and purposes, like dressing like a man, facial hair, you name it, and just say, well, gender identity is a protected characteristic. And, gen and the way it's defined by the government is, the internal sense of oneself, whether, whether being male, female, neither, or both. So think about that. That is that like ephemeral thing is basically your personality, your self identity is, is, has the full weight of the law of human rights law, not, not the charter because it's not protected under the charter, but it has human rights legislation attached to it. And he would be justified. And we've seen, we've seen that happen. Um, we will, um, we can still I, fight. Them. We fight we, against oh, them. we're fighting it. Of course we, we are. Just, yeah. We just need to set legal precedents. So we need more people to challenge these sorts of things in our legal system yeah exactly. and that requires people standing up and a lot of people are understandably afraid to do that and you are not <laughs> thank <laughs> god um yeah and neither is uh, pamela buffone who who stood up as well and this is this takes incredible courage and time and effort and mind share Right. And we, but it need, it really needs to get done because it, it, we need to um, elucidate that there are human rights conflicts. There are rights conflicts. And at this time, the table is slanted in favor of fetishism and all the rest of it. Before we get into the most recent fetish thing, I do want to, now Mia unfortunately is not able to um, 
to get a mic and she's, I'm not... she's got a she's speaker right now. Oh, yeah. oh okay, I, I made it. I, I made it back. Okay, good, good, because it was just showing. Okay, now it's showing. Okay, so Mia, I, I, I'd like you to share a little bit before we move on to the uh, the uh, the jewel in the crown right now, which is the Oakville teacher, because <laughs> it's the most it's the most recent. Um, I, I'd like to I'd like to talk a little bit about the uh, the Buffone case and the Ontario uh, Human Rights Tribunal, and you were. Um, uh, you were present at the at the tribunal, so I would just want to get your thoughts on that. And you wrote about it for the Post Millennial. And congratulations on your your recent uh, um, addition to to that publication. And you're 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 very busy there. I can see you're pumping them out. So thanks for that. But let's let's talk a little bit about the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal case and and what your what your impressions and thoughts were on that. Um, so yeah, the the Pamela case, obviously. No one, I, I don't think any of us were entirely surprised by the ruling. I, I certainly, those of us present in the tribunal were not surprised because you could see how weighted towards the Ottawa Carlton District School Board they were. Um, they opened, I remember the lawyer opened with something about how um, the human rights code is not set up to protect cisgender people, I shit you not. She's like, transgender people have suffered historically and the Human Rights Code is not there to, to um, protect white people and cisgender people. It's there to protect um, minorities and transgender people. So you could see the way they were going. And then the adjudicator, Eva Nichols, was very much swaying in their direction, even though she was supposed to be completely neutral. But it's an astonishing case and Pamela like they, they narrowed it down to discrimination and, and that's a very difficult thing to prove and I think because Pamela's daughter was not physically harmed they kept saying throughout the tribunal like your daughter knows she's a girl so no harm done basically so overlooking the fact that what if her daughter had not brought it up to them what if her daughter had not had parents to ground her in the material reality of biology and her body and what if they hadn't helped her through the distress but they had no interest in that and so they heard from a mother who testified under oath that her son had been at some gender presentation at his Ottawa Carlton District School Board school in grade seven and then a few weeks later came out as trans as a, as a demi-girl four other kids in the grade can i interrupt for one second i sure. just i just want to add a note so the bc human rights tribunal when you're saying that it's the idea that they couldn't prove harm i'm fascinated by this because the bc human rights tribunal here awarded a waitress who was using they them pronouns thirty thousand dollars <laughs> for hurt feelings but this woman physically assaulted a co-worker and the tribunal um, member, who happened to be the same one that ruled over the Yaniv, uh, Yaniv wax my ball hearings, um, the tribunal member said there was no proof that this physical assault caused any harm, but the misgendering absolutely extre extremely harmful in her opinion. So, I I I was just balking at what you're saying, thinking of that. Well, no 
seriously, though, going back to honestly how they open the tribunal, the human rights code is not there to protect cisgender people. That's what that's what she said. Like the the lawyer for the OCDSB wow. said at the beginning, we're not there. It, she honestly compared it. She said the human rights code is not there to protect white people who have privilege. It was so unbelievably woke in a in a a, a legal setting. It blew my mind. And so you you've got no harm done because Pamela's daughter is cisgender because she knows she's a girl. So this made up category of cisgender automatically excludes her from the 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 damage, the harm. They basically I think if that mother who testified that her son came out as a girl or whatever and, and was confused by this, perhaps she'd have a case. But even then he desisted because the mother is a counselor and, and understood what was going on and pulled him back. But I honestly think they're going to need mastectomy scars and blood and regret and all sorts of stuff for them to even begin to listen. Listen, like I really don't think they they can comprehend the possible harm that could have occurred to, to Pamela's daughter. I really don't think so. So essentially what they were saying is that the six-year-old girl is the oppressor. Absolutely. Cisgender people, there you go. <laughs> the, human rights, the human rights code open, is not there. Yeah, that they would open up by admitting that they intend to discriminate against people on the basis of their gender identity, quote-unquote cis, and, and their race, white. <laughs> so, and they don't even, it's like, is nobody... Of course, people are recognizing it, but it's just they should just immediately be shut down for announcing at the beginning of every session that they're there discriminating against certain groups of people. Well, this, so this, this was the lawyer for the Ottawa Carlton District School Board. This was their opening statement. And oh, it, it wasn't very, the member. It, no, no, the lawyer. So it was very much slanted in that direction. And the ruling, if you've read the ruling, you can see that that's that's the direction they went in as well. They even said something about how in the ruling, the decision, it said something about how, I don't know, transgender people have historically suffered oppression and the cisgender people have not. It's there in the ruling. So sure, it wasn't her who said it in the beginning, but they very much absolutely absorbed all of it and could not care less about this cisgender girl the supposed cisgender girl but one i honestly the most interesting part for me of that whole tribunal was the fact that when you get to the testimony of the teacher and the teacher the, there's a tomboy in the class a grade one class and it's a tomboy and there's an email exchange the teacher informs the parents of this kid being trans or whatever and the the parents email back to say we don't want anyone to think because our daughter has short hair and likes to play sports we don't want anyone to think that she's a boy she's not a boy she she is a girl and so this girl in the class was not even trans the teacher saw a gender non-conforming child saw a tomboy and immediately labeled her trans and launched into this whole series of lessons about 
gender identities when the kid wasn't even trans. She was just a tomboy. And that was that was the impetus for for the the teachable moment, I guess, of, uh, that there was this non gender gender nonconforming child, right? Yeah. Who was, just just should be allowed to be allowed to be, uh, rather than the, the, you know imposing every, assumptions on a on a child. It's absurd. Well, this is it. I think we we're, we're churning out these teachers who are trained in teachers' college to see a gender non-conforming child and to to immediately see them as trans and start teaching this bullshit you know even if the kid is not trans yeah and it's teachers so are specifically specific. not supposed to diagnose right of like course. it's not part of like that is not part of their mandate to diagnose anything they're not even supposed to diagnose children with um ADHD well part that of is, part they're of not the allowed to do that is that now trans activists are saying gender dysphoria and being trans isn't a diagnosis. It is just your true inner self. It's your gender soul. So technically it wouldn't even be a teacher diagnosing. It would just be a teacher helping you to see the light with your gender soul. Evangelizing. Yeah. You know, proselytizing this religion, uh, this course, gender religion. Yeah. yeah. This OG in, in BC does that similar they they teach kids their examples are like what if you're a girl and you like hockey what if you're a boy and you like dolls then you're trans and I, yeah how do how do people not see that this is just indoctrination um well they're we, starting we, to see they yeah. are starting to see. yeah can we move on to yeah what's late for anna can, i would love to get into this ontario school teacher and I also see Redux, which, by the way, I, Redux is relatively new. I have to say they're fucking killing it. They're awesome. I love it. Um, Absolutely. I've yeah. said that to Anna before, but just like way to go. It's such an excellent website. Yep. Great. I journal. did want to, before we do that, I did, because we have Heather here. I just wanted to talk about this, uh, this transfer that's happening or, oh. or imminent um, of this uh, murder rapist. Uh, going can can we get Heather in on in this and then uh, we'll 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 be finishing up with the uh, Oakville teacher and then we can get a, okay. all three of our our guests and then we'll open up the floor. Um, do you mind? Can can we do that, Amy? Sure. No, sorry, yeah, I'm okay. changing the order of things, but let's do it. No, no, not not at all, not at all. It's just kind of, like I said, this is kind of free form. But I think that this teacher thing is is of great interest because it's the most proximate in terms of just recently happened. So. Um, yeah, welcome, Heather. Hey, thanks for having me on. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yep, loud and clear. All right. So, yeah, this transfer, he goes by Catherine Lynn now. Um, he's been incarcerated since 1995. He spent like 18 years in and out of maximum security. Uh, he was recently denied parole, and it's interesting because they denied his parole because he presents as an undue risk to society if released and that his release will not contribute to the protection of society. Yet they approved his transfer request to Grand Valley Prison for Women. So I got a phone call on August 15th from a woman that was at Grand Valley and she said, hey, we have a new transfer. This is their name and gave me as much information as they could about the person and asked me to look them up. 
And I was able to find out the person's real name and I applied for their parole document. So he's actually in prison because he was seeing a woman. um, And I guess the woman really didn't um, want to be in a relationship with him, which is not surprising that he then turned around, physically assaulted her, slit her throat, and then had sex with her while she was dead. And was also um, charged with assaulting a prostitute in 1993, but that charge was withdrawn. So he's violent. He uses his strength and size um, to be violent towards women. And then they approve his transfer into the woman's prison. And the woman that called me said that he had went up for parole. So that's how I knew that he would have a parole document because you usually don't have a parole document unless you've like applied for temporary absences or for day parole or full parole. And he said he was denied parole because he hadn't had surgery yet. And the parole board wanted him to have surgery. But obviously, after getting his parole document, it's clear that that is not the case. Um, And he also said that he wanted to go to the women's prison so that he could look around at how the women walked, talked, and acted, which is fucking creepy. Like, if any man were to say that, we would call him out on that. But now, all of a sudden, because this man identifies as a woman, it's okay for him to be a fucking creep and to use us as props in his sick fantasy world. It's just... It is disgusting. It blows my mind. And like, I I asked this woman, I'm like, how do you feel like knowing this? And she's like, I don't even want to go outside and be in his eyesight. Just knowing that he is watching everything I'm doing so that he can try and be a woman. Like, they're very uncomfortable about this. They have no one they can talk to. And it seems like lately, like, it's getting a lot worse. There's been a lot more transfer requests happening I was able to get some data um, from actually a journalist that is working on a story for me, which is super cool. Finally, some interest outside of our world. And he said that there have been 57 transfer requests since 2017. Um, And there's only 61 um, like gender diverse prisoners in the men's prison. So essentially every single male prisoner that they have that's gender diverse is like applied for a transfer, which is not shocking. It's it's not even shocking though, when you think about it, because like they're all sex offenders and murderers that are applying for transfer, right? Just like with, with this latest transfer request to the Michael Reeves, I posted on Twitter, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but he's a two-time murderer, just applied for a transfer to the women's prison, killed a fellow inmate, and then participated in a masturbation circle around the victim's body. Like these fucking depraved and how they're supposed to be this the CSC Canadian Correction or sorry, Correction Services of Canada screening process. Clearly it's not good enough. No, it's and not. There's, a, there's a, this notwithstanding clause that they use, like they wave it around as if it means something. And that's the, what do they call that, Heather? The overriding uh, safety concerns. They say, yeah, you'll get it unless we have overriding safety concerns. But they never, ever use that, do they? They just like, they just wave them right through. 
don't they? So it's an exemption clause. It's uh, overriding health and safety concerns. And there's like five categories that fall under there. But CSC doesn't provide the criteria or the test that they use to determine if it isn't like what would be it. You would think that murdering a woman, slicing her throat and raping her dead body would be a safety concern to the women in the prison. But clearly that isn't. So it's hard to know what they are using. And like Like, a lot of you. Yeah. What on earth would an overriding say? Obviously, like the fact that you're a man should be the overriding safety concern for not going into a woman's prison. But the fact that that's not an overriding, like what the hell does someone have to do to actually meet that criteria? Insane. Heather, have you, you've requested, like, can we see what your criteria are and they've just not provided it? Or did they say that's like classified information or something or what's going on there? I haven't got it. Um, And there's, we're also disputing like quite a bit of our like um, requests so we've sent in like a tips and they've either not responded in the time frame or they said they don't have the information or they send something and it's completely redacted. So then you have to like take it up a step and fight it to try to get it. Um, it's just, it's like jumping through hoops. It's a shit show. So we haven't received it. I don't even know if they do have it because um it's up to the deputy commissioner for women to approve or deny the transfers now i do know that they're setting up a gender consideration review board so then it's a bunch of ltgbqstp people who are supposed to be there to support the deputy commissioner if she needs help with understanding things but the deputy commissioner doesn't need to use the review board um, but still, I don't even know how they have that set up, but it just, it's good. And then the review board kind of scares me because it's like, okay, it's just going to be a whole bunch of trans activists that are like Morgan Auger who want like the exemption clause removed and want transfers to happen no matter what. So for our <laughs> listeners who just to, to give a little bit of context here, um, and uh, when Heather says ATIP, that's access to information um, program that the Canadian government has that, you know, our gov- uh, sitting government, uh, the Trudeau government ran on a platform of transparency. And every time we try to get information about this stuff, um, they just um, make it as difficult as they possibly can. And um, Morgan, Morgan Auger is the, the, one of the leading trans activists in Canada, has an eponymous foundation. Like, who has an eponymous foundation, right? Like, the Trudeaus, the Clintons, the Bushes, right? But the, this person is... files. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Starts up a foundation and, and uses his name on it. Um, and he's, like... He, works at Best Buy as like a technician or something like that, you know, and uh, anyway, and gets, you know, attracts all of the, uh, the politicians to come to, to the cocktails and things like that. So this is what we're up against. Um, okay. Yeah. So to, to recap, I don't know if people have been in here the entire time. We're talking about the most absurd things that have happened recently. Number one, Protester, male protesters outside of the EHRC in London dumped stale piss on themselves, brought dozens of bottles of stale piss, um, 
this one man wearing a sheer dress showing off his dick got praised for this beautiful protest about wanting to enter women's bathrooms. We Uh, just want to pee. We just want to pee. So Uh, if you're not going to let us pee, we're just going to, what, pee all over the front steps? Seems like, you know, just just keep peeing in bottles then. Leave us alone. Go pee in a bottle. Um, And then, yeah, so then Heather's saying uh, there's a transfer of a murdering necrophiliac slit a woman's throat going into a women's prison in Canada and is basically there to prey on women and observe them like a killer and figure out how to mimic their behavior. Like that's so sociopathic. Um, And then I, if we can move on to Anna's uh, redux story that she covered about this teacher in Ontario with the, uh, you know, people are saying massive. I don't even think massive is a good enough word to describe how big these prosthetic prosthetic boobs are. Um, but yeah, Anna, do you want to talk about how you came across this story and just give an overview? Um, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the story didn't happen and I'm on a mushroom trip that hasn't ended yet. Um, <laughs> and I just imagined all of this. LOL. Because, because let me tell you, when... <laughs> So, okay, yesterday was when we actually got confirmation of who this was. But that morning, I say that morning, because it was like three o'clock in the morning, okay? I was just finishing up with another story. I was just about to go to bed. Um, And then someone, of course, sent this to me, because I apparently am the the what-the-fuck repository of just, like, anybody who finds just some deranged shit Uh, They just make a beeline for my DMs. And that's how I do what I do, basically. And they were just like, did you see this? And I was like, well, now I did. And I didn't want to. And you did that without my consent. Um, But of course, I was thinking it was probably a joke. (laughs) Like the vast majority of people. I mean, there are people out there who think. Yeah, a lot of us were like, oh, that's got to be somebody like did some kind of a parody sketch a costume you know what I mean? or it was like on the set of some adult film or what adult swim <laughs> adult film <laughs> adult swim comedy sketch you know Steven Crowder is up to his antics or some shit who knows um that's what I was thinking and then uh someone else uh messaged me and said um I believe this person is a teacher in Oakville Ontario And I was like, well, of course it's Ontario. Because Ontario is like the Florida of Canada, really. There's Florida man and there's Ontario man. And they're like best friends. Um, And so, of course, I started looking into it. We found some images that we were able to cross-reference in terms of the interior of the school, the interior of the shop class. um, That led us to fully confirm it was within Oakville, Trafalgar. Um, but then, uh, the, the actual identity of the person became a big deal because we weren't able to actually see, there were no pictures in the actual teacher directory, but what I was able to find was some pictures that were cached by Google. Um, because I suppose the, well, I mean, the vast majority of, of schools do, they use something through the G suite. So Google would have within their repository pictures associated with email addresses. And sure enough, this person's picture 
um, was within their repository once we actually started going through the few names that it could have been um, and cross-referencing them with uh, the actual pictures that were in the Google account. So and can I just say about this yeah. picture that I saw in your article? It's one of the, it's like all of our photos in this space. It's a little round circle and the, this man still found a way to get half of his enormous <laughs> fake boobs in the picture. I don't think he could avoid it, to be quite frank. <laughs> but, I mean, it wasn't that for me. It was that the Photoshop was fantastic. There was just so mm. much. I mean, every filter was working on maximum. Elon Musk yeah. had to create a new filter <laughs> to put this person's picture the feminizing the feminizing <laughs> filter yeah the Facial super super turbo turbo this feminization person, filter th this person somehow got their hands on military grade technology to to put it through um really but i mean obviously it was it was still him yeah we could tell um and so this was at three o'clock in the morning the day before the well the day of the story I should say because it came out a couple hours later but of course I wanted to wait to call the school they opened at 7 45 uh their time um but I'll be honest with you I called once I got that confirmation from the school this was an active employee um I was really struggling with with it I was actually it probably came out an hour later than it could have even though, of course, we were still first because we always are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Brava. Well done. Well, always. We, I've got the fastest hands in the West. Yeah. Um, we, we, it probably could have come out about an hour earlier. What was the delay? That I didn't believe it. <laughs> wow. I was sitting at my desk. And I'm telling you, uh, Rip X4 Nutmeg, I'm sure some of you follow her. She's in the United Kingdom. Uh, her and I talk a lot. Um, I, I had to send her like a voice note working through the exact process by which I determined that this was indeed real. And I had to, like, I was, I asked like four people like, okay, so here's all the information. This is how I found it. This is how I've come to the conclusion that I've come to that it's real, but could I be lying? <laughs> I was actually asking people if I'm just out of my mind. Because I didn't believe it. I couldn't it, believe it. It is it. a hallucinatory yeah. experience. I mean, the very fact that this is like, this is a suburb of Toronto. Okay, so you're right. Uh, Ontario is is not so with this stuff, but specifically Toronto. We've got some other, we got Vancouver is, you know, neck and neck and Halifax apparently is a, a very not so place as well. Um, but, you know, like, like that this, could actually happen in a school like oh nothing nothing wrong here what are you talking about it's a teacher teaching shop it's basically the like superb gaslighting okay right? and it, like for i'm sure everyone's seen the photo if you haven't seen the photo i feel like even for posterity we need to describe oh. how big and disgusting these boobs are they each boob is probably the size of two or three watermelons and, and they have big pointy nipples on the end and he's wearing very tight revealing t-shirts and a hideous dollar store blonde wig and short shorts. And why, and it, why do they always have the bad wig? I, I mean, 
I don't know. Like this one is gainfully employed. I think a lot of them, a lot of AGPs don't seem to be gainfully employed. There's no excuse for this man to be wearing a dollar store wig, but here he is. Yeah. I just put up um, Anna's story in the nest and with a comment from Helen Joyce and, and of course, Helen is always so astute. And, and I must say that I, 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 that was the comment that I, that I put on Facebook uh, when when uh, I commented on one of our colleagues, our sisters in the struggle, she she put it, and it's basically this: is that this is the uh, logical endpoint of including gender identity and expression as a human rights um, uh, category, right? Because because <laughs> what that does is it emboldens any of these uh, fetishists. To yeah. be able to say, well, this is this is my right, and then what it what what it what it what it ultimately does is it leaves school administrators, e- even if like let's say they didn't let's say they disapproved of this type of behavior and presentation, they are terrified of that course. if they say anything, that yeah. they that they will come under fire from yeah. the, the human rights Stasi in Canada, right? And and all that, and, and get, get mobbed, right? So have, this have what what else is gonna happen at this point, right? Anything, anything goes. That my reaction was like you can have your fetish on full display for adolescents. They are forced to be subjected to it. He's protected. He's not gonna lose his job because of self ID laws. But, like, as a nurse, if I were to say that he's a man, um, I could lose my job. And, I, Anna, can you tell us, I see that today you got a leaked email from a parent, was it? Can you tell us about that? Actually, we're talking with two students right now. Um, one of which, well, I should say one student, one claimed student, because we've only caught actual confirmation from one of them that they are actually a student. They sent a, a picture of their photo ID uh, to confirm that they're a student. And by the way, I don't know where this story is going. <laughs> there are so many things going on here that I'm hearing from these two individuals that I, uh, like anything goes here. Um, it's really quite remarkable. But yeah, we did have an email that was sent to us today um, showing that they were defending this person. Um, of course, I, I, I had anticipated a statement. You've got to, when your school goes viral, when your, your teacher's picture is all over the place, you've got to make a statement. But I did not think that they were going to double down in a way that they did. I honestly thought they were going to go the denial route that they were going to, oh, maybe this was like a contractor or a substitute who was in the school like three times and so we don't have anything to do with them. No, they they fully acknowledged that this is what was going on and they defended it. And that was just amazing to me because I did not have my money on that. I had my money on the denial route. I did not have it on the double down. Yeah, it's astounding. Do you think that um, from what you're hearing from this student or possibly two students is that parents are going to revolt against this like where do you i i don't know how much you want to share because you probably have the inside scoop but i'm just wondering if you can say anything about the trajectory that you think this might go on 
Um, <laughs> okay, well, the first thing for you to remember is that According to the original source student um, who confirmed effectively who this was, this has been going on like this. This didn't just originate in the last week when the pictures started circulating. Um, this person apparently began identifying as a woman last year. Um, and so w when the actual uh, breast issue began, um, I don't have a firm grasp on that yet, but it certainly wasn't in the last week. It was it a was firm grasp. <laughs> please don't. <laughs> please don't. Please don't. We, I, I'm already so psychologically damaged. I don't know need any more like puns put upon me without my consent. Okay, um, you know what? my apology, <laughs> Anna. Please, please. I'm so sorry. I just say I've been using men's reaction to this story as a barometer for what I think about them because I've noticed that some men are just like that's hilarious and they laugh and then other men are like this is disgusting and terrible that students are for they're like this is so wrong and I just as an aside it's making me the way that people respond to this story I know we're joking about it right now but <laughs> we're yes we've all we've been immersed in it for days but the initial reaction if you just think it's hilarious I think that says something about how seriously you take what TERFs are saying well I think it's so absurd that sometimes the only logical reaction is to laugh like you know make maybe make, maybe shaming great again you know what I mean like I don't know it's just it's absurd and you know, I must say when I, I, I showed my son this photo and he's in his mid-20s and he goes, oh, the, all the kids are probably um, laughing at that. Like that was his first thing. And it, like in another time, perhaps they would be, but they, the, it's such a stifling environment now that they are terrified. Like they, they won't even be allowed to no. allowed to say anything. Is that is that what you're getting from them? Like the ones that you're talking to, Anna, are like they are being super careful about this. Yes, and that's the biggest thing that is sticking with me right now. Is that of course we only started hearing about it in the past week or so, but this has been going on for a lot longer. So you would think, right? You would think that you've got this person walking around in the community looking the way that they do, teaching at a school looking the way that they do. Why didn't we know about this sooner? Mm -hmm. The fact that it only came up in the last week, it tells me, well, first of all, I mean, things can sit in the darker parts of the internet, the quieter parts of the internet, for a long time before they start to bubble up to the surface in a more viral way. Mm -hmm. uh, which is what I'm hearing is it sounds like happened with this where it actually originated on a site that's largely anonymous. And a lot of the times information doesn't have a clear pathway from uh, this particular image board to the mainstream Internet. I'll call it, you know, Twitter, Facebook, that sort of social media, because there's not a hell of a lot of overlap in those two demographics. So you had and it student... does seem fake, too. It just seems unreal. <laughs> yeah. It seems unreal. And I almost feel as though I've seen a picture um, of this person 
in the past, the distant past, uh, but probably just zoomed right past it because it just looks insane. It doesn't look like it's something that it looks either photoshopped or it, it's like a comedy sketch or from a movie set or something like this. Um, mm -hmm. So this has been going on for a while. And the fact that nobody has said anything, no parents, who would know? They would know what their teachers looked like. Surely, I would hope, out of, the, out of the many, 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 many students that would be passing through this person's classroom, or out of the many parent-teacher nights or whatever, that they would know what this person looks like. They would have seen would them walking around in the community. I would lose it. I would fucking lose it in an instant if I showed up at school and one of my son's teachers looked like that. Yeah, or even if your son came home and said, like, because they probably would. They would probably say, like, Mom, we have a teacher with two Honda Civics strapped to his chest. Like, they, they, they would probably say something to you at some point and you'd probably be like what do you mean like can you elaborate upon that for me so i can fully wrap my head around this and you'd probably want to investigate after that so like, do you do you mean like the little 90s hatchback civics or like a sedan <laughs> and then like, no, exactly a full fucking like, sedan. like a four-door with or... a trailer hitched on the back <laughs> or they come home you know mom that new teacher um her headlights are on all the time. It's very, very distracting to me. And that's why I didn't get a very good mark in shop this year. Yeah, um, I was distracted my, by my teacher's giant fake tits. Like, <laughs> and I would want to investigate that further as a parent. I'm sure most parents would. So what happened? This is what I'm curious about. This is what I, I, I'm sitting on right now and I'm trying to figure out myself is that I need a better understanding of the actual timeline of when this monstrosity was introduced to the classroom in the current form he has taken yeah. um, to understand precisely why there has been not a word about it until now. Because students have been talking about it. The, the, we have seen uh, Snapchats that have been shared amongst students in which th they discuss it with each other and they're not happy about it, by the way. Words. They're not happy about it. They're like, this is disgusting. Uh, I know it makes Did you see the... Okay, go ahead, sure. Amy, and I want to I wanna, yeah. uh, interject. Go ahead. Sure. Just, you, and I've talked about this before, but I absolutely had a... I had a really hard time um, growing breasts. I hated it. I actually, um, almost two years ago now, finally got a breast reduction always hated if someone looked especially like a colleague at work looked at my breast or glanced at them I would feel so much rage and anger because I felt like I was not in control of being sexualized and it was such an unwanted feeling and when I was a teenager in high school struggling with that happening if there was a man around doing that it would just make me so angry and upset because it's yeah. it's it's so fucking degenerate and disgusting and it just very it's like you're going through puberty you're struggling with your body image and you have some creepy perverted man that has triple watermelon boobs and they're fake and he's obviously got a sexual fetish going around like how is that making young 
girls who are going through puberty and and their bodies are growing how does that make them feel it makes them feel even more sexualized than our culture already sexualizes them it just i'm enraged just thinking about those girls and that that's the dark part of the story i mean we can we can joke and laugh about it because it is it is laughable and so much of this stuff i mean it's gone so far you know how far can they go that we are kind of inured to a lot of this stuff. But if you stand back and just really just with it, with new eyes and, 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 you know, fresh perspective, just look at it. And it, it is enraging because it is, think about how the girls are being made to feel um, in this environment and, and think about how the boys are being groomed to, um, to see that, you know, the sort of pornified thing is out it's in a school. It's not even that it, that, this person showed up at pride looking like that, like this is in the school, right? And so it's de facto, um, it is a being um, uh, affirmed uh, by the adults in charge. And, and, that, and that is very, very, that's very, very concerning, right? But I did want to interject with, uh, because uh, um, uh, Joe Warmington from the Toronto Sun uh, got a uh, a quote from the Halton District School Board. The chair herself, Margot Shuttleworth, uh, was quoted as saying, this teacher is an extremely effective teacher. All the kids really love being in the class. Okay, this is the chair of the school board. It's clearly not true. Uh, we we know what teenagers are like, even if they've been groomed uh, in this uh, woke milieu for, you know, their entire school years from kindergarten on up. They children know what what's just bizarre and odd, and they you know we know how kids always make fun of their teachers no matter what. It could be something very very minor, and kids are just going to pick that teacher apart, right? This is just like ripe pardon the pun for <laughs> for ridicule you know kids oh, are going to do it right yeah and i'm curious are the students if you can say are they male or female the ones you've spoken to one's male one is female um like here's the funny part about what you just said like I've seen the Snapchats. I'm, I, some of those Snapchats have circulated in which the students are, and these are taken by students who are inside the classroom, sharing these Snapchats within their, their friend groups, making comments saying that it makes them sick. So the um, Holton County uh, School Board, school district, are, is so disconnected from reality that they really think that, and, and for, you know, just even think about it. Say you're a student, you're approached by a teacher or you're approached by a school administrator to give your feedback on uh, a teacher that you have concerns about but seems to be supported institutionally. First of all, the vast majority of, of teens just don't want the trouble. They don't need the trouble in their lives. And they're just gonna be like, yeah, okay, it's great, it's fine giant tits no problem whatever fun class great they, they don't have time for this they don't have care they certainly don't have the bravery in the vast majority of cases not that that's a moral judgment but they shouldn't have to have it they aren't trained to have it 
it's not their battle to pick. Yeah, it shouldn't be put on them to begin with. A- adults should be standing up for them. Precisely. And so if they're getting, especially if they're getting some sort of a reinforcement from the school or from a- adults in their lives or people in positions of power around them, that they should have no problem with that. Why would they ever express an, a dissident opinion? There's simply no upside to that as far as they're concerned. So really, it's quite stunning that the school board would put out a statement like that. When, first of all, we know it to be untrue just based on the Snapchats themselves. And one of the students, at least the student that I've confirmed for sure, uh, is indeed uh, a student at the school. They even said, you know, like, I'm all for transgender rights and I'm bisexual myself, but this is ridiculous. Like, this is totally inappropriate for the workplace, is what they said. So they're wrong. The school board is just wrong. This is gaslighting. And this is gaslighting on an institutional level of both students, of parents, and of the general public. And it's really quite disgusting. It is funny. <laughs> because how can you not laugh at the absurdity of it? But it is also a symptom of the wider problem of society being gaslit by a very vocal minority of psychopaths. And you know what strikes me, like going back to Heather talking about this murdering, necrophiliac, disgusting man who's transferred into women's prison, is that, and and this is horrible, but it's like women in prison, as Heather says, these are the most marginalized and forgotten about women in Canada. And you know, now, as, as as Esme said earlier, you give them enough rope, this is what happens. So now it's like this, this level of depravity is starting to move from places where you have people who are, they don't have, they don't have their rights anymore. Women in prison, they've had their rights taken away. It's, if you didn't have women like Heather standing up for these women and exposing what's happening, nobody would be seeing that. And now, it's been accepted by so many people and, and people defend having male rapists locked in cages with vulnerable women. But okay, now it's, now it's moving into public schools. Like when are we going to, when will enough people be like, this is it, it's done. This has to stop. Yeah. I think, I think that this is, you know, this sort of thing happening ends up being net benefit for our movement because more and more people are seeing what's going on and seeing how bold they are and and just the the full depravity of it all um because they can they're doing it because they can and and then they're being they're being bolstered by these stupid you know uh board uh, school board uh, trustees and so on so I think that this is going to, you know, this is a, this is a peak trans. I mean, the Yaniv story was a peak trans moment in Canada. This, I believe this is going to be on the level of that as well. But the problem is, is that, you know, Yaniv was doing um, criminal activities, trying to entrap these, the women that, that he tried to entice to wax his balls, you know, 
um, it could be said that this teacher is just doing his job, right? So that, you know, just kind of trying to live his life and do his job. So we, it's a fine line. We have to be careful in the way that we frame any sort of objections to this uh, because the law in one sense is on his side, the trustees are on his side and um, the accusations of bigotry and all the rest of it. But, but at a certain point, you know, there's enough, there's going to be enough people that go like, this is just beyond the pale. So um, I, I'd like to open it up uh, and get some more of our listeners into the discussion. And before I go ahead and do that, I just uh, want to just stress that we are, we're going to keep our conversation uh, moving along. So um, if you can keep your comments uh, and questions uh, rather brief and to the point, and also um, that we want to just continue to have a respectful conversation. I mean, there there is a lot that is that is laughable and ridiculous about this, but um, we are not going to uh, be doing any slurs and that sort of thing. Let's just sort of keep it to the concepts and the and re, and keep it to reality. So um, I'm going to start giving out some mics, and then if you'd like to put your hand up, we're going to use hands. And we're going to go around the table and and get your thoughts and uh, and your your impressions of this and and how you think that we what's the way forward here? What's your predictions? Is this going to be a peak trans moment? Um, how should we be speaking about this? How should we uh, be framing it and so on? So we're going to go uh, with actual J. Then we're going to go with feta complete. Neil Doran and JT. So, uh, welcome, Actual Justice. Hi, thank you. Um, just very grateful to to the two Amys and and Heather, who and and JT, whose who, whose activism, um, well, and, and and Amy's court battle. I'm I'm just I'm just in awe of what you do here. When when I saw the term peak trans, are we reaching it? What immediately jumped to my mind was this new discussion of, of the last week of, of creating a eunuch gender. We're actually, I, I guess, with the woman king. I guess, I guess, wokeness is starting to see slavery as as uh, something like the good old days or something. I, I, I'm I'm not quite getting it. So we're um, eunuchs. Uh, are, are, are one of the most vile relics of, of slavery and, and, and then um, uh, cutting off little boys' balls so they could sing in choirs and things like that. We, that's only a few decades old. It was, I mean, a few decades since we've gotten rid of that sort of inhumanity. They're talking about this casually, and, and I wonder if there's anybody's run into any meat on it. If this is, if I'm expanding the scope of the dis discussion, that's fine. But I'd be really grateful if anybody could PM me anything that they've they've seen on this, because I I, I find I find that one particularly horrific. I mean, Anna is I I if you haven't already read it, I would suggest reading um, Anna's read up story about the people who are advising WPATH to create their new guidelines, and these are essentially pedophiles that are also pushing for eunuchs um, because they're pedophiles. 
Um, so I, yeah, you definitely check it out. I don't know if Anna has a comment about that because I know she's researched this as well. Uh, so that one was actually published by Genevieve, who's a writer and she's the co-founder at Redux. Um, that was a long, long investigation. We put in a lot of hours on that. Um, but that was really her wheelhouse. Uh, but yeah, we, we put out two stories, uh, two exclusives back now in May, I want to say. Um, this is long before WPATH actually uh, confirmed their standards of care eight, which was just released uh, definitively. Uh, I believe it was either, ye- I think it was yesterday. Um, but yeah, we, we had been looking into this. Genevieve had first caught wind of it when she read the draft standards of care, which were released in November or December. Um, and where- uh, if I could just interject to say um, WPATH is the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, just for those who don't know that acronym. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry about that. So yeah, they are the largest... Um, they're considered an advisory body, a professional body, a professional association, uh, which really provides guidelines on important things such as uh, the transitioning of children, um, hormones, surgeries, uh, gender dysphoria, classifications, things like this. Anyway, um, in their original draft standards of care, um, they included eunuch gender identity, eunuch as a gender identity. Um, But what was very distressing about that, as Genevieve uh, read, was that they referenced a site called the Eunuch Archives. And within that, they also referenced a site called the Fiction Archives, which is like a a site within the Eunuch Archives. Um, It's kind of like a direct pathway from one to uh, the other. It's like you have to go through one to get to the other, if that makes sense. Um, so they directly referenced these two sites, or this site and this subsite within it. Um, but they, <laughs> they didn't mention that there's a lot of fantasy child sexual exploitation material on the fiction archives, and that there um, are a lot of members of the eunuch archives that deal explicitly in extreme sexual fantasies about castrating and sexually abusing children. Um, And this was, again, this was referenced by the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, the largest professional advisory board for medical professionals dealing with transgender individuals. And they were just okay with the fact that this site dealt very explicitly with fantasy child sexual abuse material. Um, Some of these stories that we saw there on the site um, were about lowering the age of consent to 12, were about Nazi doctors uh, castrating and sexually torturing little boys, little Jewish boys, just really horrific stuff that you would go, why isn't this a bigger deal? (laughs) Why isn't it a bigger deal? You would, so any woke people, they'll be like, so-and-so just got a job at this public organization but 15 years ago they said something that at the time was socially acceptable but could now be interpreted as slightly racist or slightly homophobic or whatever even if that person isn't either of those things and they will get absolutely cancelled but then woke people are like oh so they're 
they're pushing uh, pedophilia, 12-year-old age of consent, trans ageism, totally fine. Like these, these people are so morally bankrupt. It just astounds me. Yeah. And um, what was even more disturbing is that uh, within the, uh, the Unica archives, which is technically a forum, um, there were some members of that forum, prominent members, administrators, moderators. Um, of course, they all go by, uh, you know, pen names, uh, little cartoon profile pictures they they don't actually put their actual real names out there um, but we managed to determine the identities of three of the top members of this site the administrators and two moderators um, two of them are professors one of them is a professor emeritus at california state university in chico thomas w johnson uh, who has lectured extensively on expanding the transgender umbrella and incorporating new diverse gender identities. He's also directly consulted um, to change the categorization of gender dysphoria in the DSM. Uh, so he's worked directly with the American Psychological Association. He was one of the administrators of this site that hosts fantasy child sexual abuse material. There was uh, Professor Richard Wassersug. He's actually a Canadian professor. He was affiliated with Dalhousie. Um, and then there was another academic who has worked extensively with WPATH, uh, Christer Willette, which if you go onto YouTube right now and just look up Sister Christer on cussing, he actually has some really weird videos that are up on YouTube where he's dressed like a nun and complete with a giant crucifix on his uh, wearing around his neck. And he is like talking like he's addressing children <laughs> and he's swearing, he's swinging around condoms. Um, it's really bizarre. And these are the three people who worked because once we actually determined their names, we were actually able to look into their connection to WPATH a little bit further. And of course, of course, they, they are also listed in WPATH journals. They have spoken at WPATH conventions. Like these are big deals. And these three men were also moderating and administrating a site that hosts fantasy child sexual abuse material. Lots of it, not a little bit of it, lots and lots and lots of it. Uh, that's disturbing. And why not every single major news outlet in the world isn't talking about this, tells you all you need to know about the trans lobby. Yeah, it does. And I, I'm gonna make a. I just want to say keep keep WPATH in mind towards the end of this week. That's all I'm saying. Just remember what Anna is saying about WPATH. <laughs> Should do okay. okay. Let's, let's move on. That's, to a, that's a teaser for your upcoming <laughs> yeah. uh, battle. Okay, good, good. <laughs> all right, let, welcome JT. Hi, thanks. Thanks, Faith. Um, my question, and I probably should know this, but I, I'm just finding it really hard to kind of keep it all straight, is that, so back to this sort of the teacher in Ontario and the law, in terms of in Canada, the provincial over federal, like, I know Bill, Bill C-16 is put in place, but again, I'm just still so confu confused, or maybe it is quite simple, I just haven't got a grasp on it, is it, how is it? that there is no way to challenge some of this stuff that is so extreme, like this, this school in, in um, 
Oakville. Like it seems to me that there should be a path or an avenue to um, take it up a notch. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if I'm, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. There is a way. So basically, you know, the C-16 added gender identity, gender expression um, into law. But then every province also has human rights codes and they differ. Like, for example, B.C. political belief is in the human rights code. It's not in every province. But essentially, you can challenge these ideas either by... Um, challenging the charter because we women have the right they have protection on the basis of their sex in the canadian charter so that is one route of challenging these ideas you can also still challenge these types of things in various human rights tribunals in each province Um, all of the canadian provinces have now adopted gender identity into their human rights um their human rights codes, human rights codes. Uh, but as we talked about at the beginning with like the Pamela Buffone case, clearly the human rights tribunals are run by the far left um, insane activists. It's not really a great place to win, I think. Um, the, but then, you know, you can take things up on appeal and basically we can challenge these things. It requires people who are willing to put the time and the energy and the money into bringing this into Canada's court system. I don't personally have any faith in human rights tribunals. I think that they're a joke and they should not even exist, but we need to be fighting this in the court system of Canada and we still can. Yeah. My other question, I mean, I'm in Alberta, so I don't know if that would help at all just because we're sort of still a little bit more backward, Uh, not backward, but you know what I mean? More conservative, I guess. Um, not that uh, I have much faith in a, in a tribunal either. Um, my other, my other thought or question or just sort of putting it out there for other Canadians too, is just like, is it that we're, I mean, I'm a parent and I've worked in a school, um, and I'm at elementary school where I know that there's now this new non-binary kindergarten kid coming in, who's going to cause a tremendous amount of confusion. Um, not obviously this kid's fault, but the parents and for the other kids, um, the parents are still just like, oh, it's, I don't know if it's the this sounds so cliche, but it's, it's too polite to say anything. We don't want to be rude. It's that whole be kind thing. But I think it's also partly, we just on some level don't feel like, like you were saying that there's like a tribunal won't work. We don't have the money, the time. We're not as litigious as, as um, traditionally as in the States. Like it just sort of seems that hands are tied. And I don't know if that's exactly true or not, or if that's just sort of a, um, a thought or a myth that we've all kind of have. I mean, my early fifties. So and with teenage kids and I would certainly say something if this was the situation, but I, I, I think that I would maybe kind of feel like legally there was nothing I could do except for go out and protest and do all the things that you could do. Um, yeah. I just wanted to throw that out there. I think that's a tricky situation when a kindergarten child can get caught in the crosshairs and I wouldn't want to make a child feel bad. I think, my response in that case would just be to have conversations with my own children at home about how some people think that gender identity exists and they mistakenly think that if someone doesn't conform to stereotypes, it means that you were born in the wrong body, but that's not true. You 
we're not, your body is perfect as it is. And you can like dress, play, you can do whatever you want. And you are you. And just because the, those kids are so young. So I don't, I just think it would be bad to, you know, to make a fuss at the school if it could somehow mm-hmm. affect that child. No, and I, and you know, I probably didn't separate those two thoughts properly. And I have a, I'm a parent of a 16 year old trans identified kid. So um, this is, which we are not affirming. And um, well, no, we've, we've said no to the gender stuff. And obviously why that's why I'm here. I'm, I was just using that as an example. I would never certainly make an, um, an, a, a spectacle of, of a kid or, or any kind of shaming in that regard. Absolutely not. Um, because it is mm-hmm. so, as a parent, I can appreciate how, like it's just such a fine line about how much you walk and, or, or how you walk that line and what you can actually say publicly or not and um, the rest. So, um, hmm, yeah. I do, I do think that you make a good point about the culture, the Canadian culture, and the fact that for the most part, um, reasonable Canadians don't really want to get involved in this stuff, don't want to say anything, don't think they can say anything, don't want to appear to be mean, don't want to appear to be backward. Uh, all of these things play into it. And, but I think, and, and where we are at a disadvantage is that for whatever reason, uh, free speech in Canada is now seen to be a, uh, a conservative or a far right uh, concept that only conservatives and far right people are concerned with free speech because the assumption by anybody who is uh, under the sway of any kind of you know progressive type ideologies uh, they tend to equate equate free speech with mean speech and you know uh, in the U.S. and the U.K. Um, the vast majority of people still value free speech as as a very uh, necessary thing in society to so that we can work through our problems and come to uh, agreement on how to handle issues and that you know it's just actually your your natural right you know that humans get to express themselves it is a natural foundational right and we've forgotten that in Canada, Canadians, uh, to a great degree, think that our rights are given to us by the government for whatever reason. And I'm not quite sure why that is. It seems very absurd to me. You know, I don't, I don't need the government to tell me what my rights are. Um, the charter uh, is in place to protect us from the government, from go- government overreach. That's why it exists. It doesn't. The Charter of Rights and Freedoms didn't. Did, wasn't written to say, okay, here's the rights that we're going to give you. What it did was it acknowledges our rights, and 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 gives us protections from from government overreach and also from other fellow Canadians who would transgress against us. Right. So, there we we do have a very particular cultural situation that I don't think a lot of Americans and Brits may completely grasp. I mean, it's a Canadian thing. Like you just wouldn't understand, right? Like it's, and it really handcuffs us when it comes to this kind of discussion um, because Canadians have bought the, 
the PR job that, you know, Canadians are nice. Canadians are polite. You know, so, so everybody just kind of wants to buy into that. And then there are a couple of big mouths, <laughs> Amy, Eileen Ham being one of them. And God bless you for that because you're going the distance for women. So um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm not nice either. No, you're such a bitch. Oh, my God. You can earn me being nice, but no one should be nice by default. Mm-hmm. That's right. I tend to agree. Um, so, JT, thank you for your, um, for your impressions and your questions. And we'll go now to Feta Complete. Welcome, Mark. Hey. Good to hear from you guys. Really enjoying the space. Um, I think that this person who now goes by Kayla Lemieux, um, not just for Canada, but for the United States, should be sort of a poster pervert for GI and law policy because, um, you know, essentially the school is protecting this person because of C-16. And, you know, when we had conversations between the Harris funeral home case, which was this person, Amy Stevens, who had to take off work for um, gender uh, reassignment transition and had said that per the employee handbook would dress appropriately per um, the standards for female employees, they were fired. And um, in the United States, they used... uh, section of the uh, Civil Rights Act of 1964, Title VII, um, and basically they ruled, I think it was the Sixth Circuit Court, that it gen- gender was covered by discrimination by sex. So essentially it's like, um, you know, if Amy Stevens now is a transgender woman and was going to dress in a skirt and a suit and a blouse, um, it would be appropriate for them to work at this funeral home um, because, you know, that's what women wear. Um, and I think what's interesting about this extremist case is this person is, you know, I've seen hot takes saying, like, people can do whatever they want with their bodies. Um, that was uh, made by this uh, sex 4G person uh, who has a lot of followers on Twitter. But, you know, that's not his body. Stephen Hannigan got he's wearing a latex rubber uh top that's you it's a fetish gear it's sold on fetish websites if we were to go to the Harris funeral home and say that you know what would be appropriate for a woman the counter to Hannah's um double x the breasts would be a large phallus uh strap on under a trans-identified females pants um because it would be the fetish gear equivalent and this goes into the point too of like you know even what they would call in law or in policy cis teachers um you wouldn't want people dressing inappropriately you wouldn't if there was a teacher who had you know too many blouse buttons unbuttoned if you had latex skirts and over sexualized clothing um, can, okay, can I say, like, this is, this is sort of, you know, the point, I think, um, Esme shared Helen Joyce's tweet about this issue, is that, of course, do we, do we really need to go down the path of writing 
such a detailed policy about what is appropriate and what isn't that you need a policy to say you can't wear prosthetic breasts the size of Honda Civics, as Anna cleverly said, in a classroom in front of children. That is ridiculous. Like the but the reason it's like every normal healthy adult professional knows that that is something that is outrageous. That's not acceptable. That's not appropriate in any way. But perverts are getting away with doing this. Bingo. On the basis. That's exactly it. Yeah. That's exactly it. We have self ID. They get away with it. The the individual who was speaking before. uh, Yeah, you're you're laying out this very complex um, uh, argument as to, oh, well, it's silicone. It's not his body. And I know who you're talking about in terms of the individual who is making the argument that, uh, well, no, he can do whatever he wants with his body. And then we get into that mucky muck that I'm really sick and tired of. Because ultimately, the only question that needs to be posed in this particular case is because we all know, we, we don't need to get into the mucky muck of, uh, who, you know, what you can do with your body, who, what gender wears what clothes, and then you get into this whole what what kind of uh, appropriate clothing for what body type no the only question that needs to be posed is what kind of adult is okay exposing themselves to children that's it <laughs> that's all that's Dr. all we Herbert. need to know that's all we need to know because ultimately every normal sane healthy adult Every non-degenerate, non-perverted adult doesn't want to expose themselves to kids. They don't want to. They can if they want to, I guess. <laughs> they could wear the tightest shirt around. But they're not. Why? Because they don't want to. Because there's something fundamentally wrong with that, and we recognize that. So sure, maybe a female teacher could go, even though we have many, many examples in which female teachers are penalized, not even for wearing something necessarily inappropriate, but just because they might have had a shapely body or something like this. And Blog TO referenced these cases when trying to make the argument of why it's okay for this person to be wearing what they are and dressing how they are and presenting themselves how they are. And that's the mucky muck that I'm talking about. That's the thing that you don't want to get into. It just comes down to what kind of person is okay with it. What kind of person is okay with young students being exposed to gigantic breasts with perpetually erect nipples that he's just swinging around in their face? What kind of adult wants to do that? What, what kind of adult needs to do that? Because I can assure you it's not a sane one. It's not a healthy one. It's not a normal one. So we need to start posing that question. Who would want to do this? Not if they can, not should they be able to, not all of these policies and procedures and and descending into the, the darkness of bureaucracy, but just who would want to do that? Answer the question, who would want to do that? And we know what the answer will be. It's not a good person. It's not someone who should be around kids. And if they're unaware, say they are genuinely, and I don't believe this, of course, but say they are genuinely ignorant as to what is appropriate dress in front of kids. Well, then that in and of itself is a condemnation of them, that they shouldn't be around kids if they don't know what's appropriate around kids. So I don't, I don't want to get into the mucky muck. I hate getting into the mucky muck. No. I just ask the question, who would want to fucking do this? And when who, you do, the fuck it's like we, 
I agree. We can shouldn't I, can have I finish to my delineate point, these things. And if you end up delineating that, it will never end. And it will never end. And women will also suffer because of that. Because you already women suffer under dress policies that are like no cleavage. But some that women my who point. Can have I finish my large point? breasts are not even able to, you know, they... they get punished by dress codes because people sexualize their body against their will and okay you sorry go ahead and finish your point go ahead um uh the mucky muck is important because we're not trying to win an argument on twitter we're trying to fight the policy and the policy is where these arguments are coming up yes it involves dress codes yes it involves gender roles and it yes it no sorry you're not no, you're not understanding. Look, the policy fight is that gender identity should not have been written into law because it opens the door for predators to do this. Kind so of thing. how do you how do you get gender identity out of law because it's being we, passed without? I, I'm talking about passed, the United so States now right now. So now we have to fight in the court system to set legal right. precedents that sex should win over gender identity. Right. That's how and we. What they're going to tell you? We're already fucked in that way. The way to win is not to write elaborate policies about you can wear this, you can't wear this, you can have a dick. That's not what I was saying. I wasn't there. saying that, but that's not what I'm saying. You're misinterpreting my point. I'm telling you that when they were talking about the Harris funeral case, it wasn't about dress code. It was about sex covered in the Civil Rights Act. Well, I know, and I've talked so about if you that before, too, to, where no, I said the reason you don't it, need gender identity in law is because if gender identity is essentially someone who doesn't follow sex stereotypes, and if you don't follow sex stereotypes, you should also law. be covered against discrimination on the basis of your sex because you're right, not conforming to sex stereotypes. So I know what you're, you're saying, not, but... But you're not going to get gender identity out of the law in the United States unless you take on these questions. It's Everybody knows there. that guy is a pervert. Legal, you have to win court cases at this point in Canada to be able to protect women. That's where we're at. I don't think it's not I would love the Equality Act hasn't been ratified yet. The Equality Act hasn't been ratified yet. It's okay, well, I'm Canadian. Rats. I'm talking from a Canadian perspe- perspective. Right. C16 is in law. It's right. not going to be repealed. We have to win court cases. Right. So you and have this- to get into the mucky muck. Right, no, it's it, not. It's not. It's not mucky Sex versus gender identity. It's not going in and saying you are not allowed to wear prosthetic breasts that go beyond this many inches. Like that's a total and utter waste of time. Just like fuck these degenerates that are doing this in the first place. But, and but if the school, if the school said that they're protecting this guy under gender identity and law, you don't think you should argue that this isn't this person's gender identity to wear prosthetic kinkwear? You don't think that's part of the legal argument to to go against what you're the school talking is saying? about this... policy about dress codes. No, the school is referencing gender identity. The school's defense of him is saying that they are protecting his gender identity through the law of Canada. Yeah, they're so not saying that it's school it policy. Needs, it needs to end up in the court system, and it's about gender identity versus sex. It's not about as Anna said, the mucky muck of making policies at a school board level about who can And that's literally what that's literally what you said, Amy. It's about getting rid of gender identity as yeah. a but as if, a so called well, protected okay, characteristic. But, but realistically they've already they've already said they don't care about sex discrimination. The bathroom policy is proof. 
it doesn't matter about sex discrimination. It doesn't matter if they They don't don't. care. It's still protected under the Canadian Charter. That's why I'm going through with my case. People have to fight it, and that's what we're doing. It doesn't fucking matter. But there's different different fronts. If I could just um, just quickly um, interject. So we yes, we do have to fight it. That's a very crucial piece of this puzzle is fighting it in the courts. But the problem is that C-16 is in law and they are taking every opportunity, the legislators and the policymakers and, and, and the judiciary to conflate sex with gender identity, right? Because now that Essentially, what the Canadian government has has said is that trans women are women for the purposes of law. So wherever woman is um, is is stated anywhere in a policy, they're just going to treat that that human being if they're if they self declare as a woman, they're going to treat them like a woman. Now we can fight that in the law in in law. But there's another part of the puzzle, and that is is that it's the social contract. So if we keep normalizing these conversations, like what we're doing right now, and we keep raising awareness, we will hopefully get to the point where this will be so reprehensible that somebody like that won't even try it because there will be enough people who disagree and who are vocal about it and who are who who just will not will not stand for this with with their children right so that would in and of itself it's just like you know when we had single sex washrooms and and they were they were sex segregated the social contract was that men just wouldn't walk into a woman's washroom they could walk in there weren't lock, locks on the doors any man could, right? But they knew that if they did that, that they would be told to leave or that if a, another man saw them go in there, they might beat them up or do something like that. You know what I mean? So the, so the social contract, we, we didn't need a law that said men can't come in here. So if, if this becomes so, the awareness is raised so that we, we have so many people that say, this is distasteful and we do not accept this, that it will be a natural deterrent for somebody to actually even attempt to do it. That's another part that I, right? I mean, it it baffles me and disgusts me that so many men are terrified to still stand up and do something when they see other men behaving this way and when women are distressed about it. Uh, But I would hope that people like us having these conversations will remind men that, you know, women still care about their safety and their sex-segregated spaces. So if we're willing to take a chance and stand up against our culture and our community and say things that unpopular truths, we know most people feel this way, but it's like, okay, we're putting ourselves on the line. So hopefully if enough of us do that, then men can go back to adhering to this social contract that used to make it not okay for men to behave like this and for predators to just parade around and do whatever the hell they want in front of women and children. You're correct. And Amy, what you're actually outlining 
is something that I just spoke about at the the Women's Liberation Front uh, donor thank you event the other day. And that is the crisis of anonymity. Because what we're experiencing right now isn't actually, because you see this all the time, you see the memes, uh, like, you know, how, how do people not know what a woman is? Or how did we get to a point where people, you know, don't know where babies come from, or don't know which sex has a penis and which sex has a vagina? That's all a meme. People know. People know damn well. There, is, there, there was no break in understanding. What there was a break in is which side is more vocal, the vast majority of people are, have no uh, misunderstanding of what sex is. They have absolutely no problem understanding that a man is different from a woman. They have absolutely no issue acknowledging that, you know, say a lesbian is a female homosexual and that penises wouldn't be involved in that transaction. So how did we get to a point, would be the question, of it being institutional when the vast majority of people don't believe any of this stuff. Because I don't even think the trans activists themselves believe it. <laughs> I, I don't even think they believe it. They're saying it, but I don't think they truly, truly, truly deep down believe it because that's pretty demonstrable in how they behave and how they actually try to push this stuff. That sometimes they don't even believe the shit they're selling to other people. So how did we get to a point where something nobody believes is now policy? And that goes back to that crisis of anonymity, wherein the majority is walking around thinking they have a minority opinion. <laughs> You've got everybody walking around thinking no one else thinks like them. And that's born of fear, of course. Yeah, it's a totally lot of people are scared. You know, we just saw what happened in Mexico. Um, Redux reported on it uh, at the National Autonomous University in Mexico, where uh, trans activists staged a coup of a women's washroom on the campus, a large women's washroom. I think it was the largest one in the Faculty of Philosophy. And they wrote uh, sexual assault and murder threats on the wall directed at lesbian and feminist students. Disgusting. That's scary, isn't it? Right? Absolutely disgusting. And you, and you saw what happened at Vancouver Rape Relief, uh, the rape crisis shelter in Vancouver, where they were nailing dead rats to the wall and whatnot. So certainly a lot of this stuff is scary. And the vast majority of people simply don't want to get involved because they think, I don't need that trouble in my life. <laughs> I don't want that toxicity that can stay over there. I'm going to keep my head to the ground. I'm going to live my normie life. I'm going to go to the work, I'm going to, you know, eat my cheese sandwich and have my Tim Hortons coffee for lunch, and I'm going to go home, I'm going to watch Netflix, I'm going to go to bed, and I'm going to repeat the process. There's and a small... Like, what? That trouble will be in your life, because <laughs> look at how it's spreading. Look at now I mean, it's... some people can get through life without having to worry about these issues. But there is a population of people who do understand that it is going to impact them, if not directly, then indirectly. Of but course. even those people are still afraid. And so they'll, you know, they'll be anonymous. They'll try to be an activist in a, a non-vocal, anonymous, faceless way. So you have a very tiny population of people who are actually putting their faces and names and voices and talents to work against what has become an institutional policy. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, 
the, the small, tiny little minority of voices actually represent a majority opinion. It's just yeah. nobody wants to actually speak up and do anything. Nobody wants to, to, and I'm not saying, of course, <laughs> you guys, but I'm saying in general, it looks very biased. It looks like yeah. there's a fuck ton of people on that side and very few people on this side when that's completely yeah. incorrect. Well, and I mean, kudos to everyone who is in this chat right now, even because I know there are a lot of people who are even too afraid to join a Twitter space about something like this because they think someone might see it and they would get in trouble. So um, every and everyone starts somewhere in terms of how involved they get in this issue and it generally builds. So um, not to like, as Anna said, it, a lot of people are still too afraid um it can take people a long time so i just i just want to make it clear that i appreciate everyone who is even here engaging in a conversation yeah. yes absolutely because the other um objection to the work that we're doing that we hear from time to time is well why do you care it's just a small number of people and um it's not affecting your life right well as you say amy it's eventually going to touch everybody's life because look at you know what's going on in oakville um and i did just out of curiosity look up who the mp is there and it is none other than anita anand who is in trudeau's cabinet she mm. is the, um, what is she, the Minister of Defense or something like that? Yeah. So it's a liberal riding. Um, she is, yes, Minister of National Defense, Anita Anand. So, yeah. um, you know, I mean, this is, this is mainstreamed in, um, in certain political parties and um, even, you know, even the conservatives, they have one job to be conservative. They've bought, well, the previous leader bought into it, uh, the gender identity thing, because they're terrified. They're terrified not to buy into it. Yeah. <clears throat> right? We'll, we'll see how Poliev does. Yeah, we shall see. I, I, don't, I don't have very much faith, but it is be interesting. Time will tell. Yeah. Um, let, let's go on to Neil. Hi, Neil. Welcome. Hi, Neil. Hey. Good luck next week, Amy. Thank we'll be you. watching. Um, I just wanted to offer a, a, back to the point of this particular teacher in Ontario, a different, maybe a different tack on how to approach effective criticism of this individual, because these things are always tricky. Like I'm as horrified as all of you are about this and I, you know, way into way too involved in this, but <clears throat> there's maybe another way to criticize this individual that allows people to kind of stick their heads up and say something without, you know, having to be worried about being accused of bigotry or transphobia or whatever it is. But I saw those pictures <clears throat> from Redux and my first thought, like, I'm a woodworker. My first thought was how this individual is being allowed to, regardless of their gender identity, present themselves in this way in in a means of trying to do their job of teaching effective you know woodworking to these students that's what they were doing in the video they were operating a miter saw with hair that was nearly waist length not tied back and you know whether these were prosthetics or real breasts having them not you know um you know i not that i would ever say that women have to wear bras but in that case 
I think every woman who's around power tools would want to wear a bra for their own safety to make sure that no part of their body could come into contact with a spinning tool. So maybe there's a way to criticize this that doesn't get into, you know, policing what women need to wear in a workplace as teachers or something like that. That is to just look at this and, and toss aside the gender stuff, even though we're all upset about it for that reason. And just say, like, this is what allowing people to identify and express themselves this way has created, is created an environment where regular citizens feel afraid to criticize the, you know, the ability for a teacher to simply do their job, to teach kids how to do woodworking safely. Neil, I would, I would agree with you, but then as you, like, I have to play devil's advocate. So let's say that is how we decided to challenge this man. Would he not just turn around and, and then say, well, I can't be fired. I'm unionized. So I need to be reassigned and I'm now going to be an English literature teacher and um, hello, the new coursework is all about uh, if this is like anime porn books that we're reading, because this sure. is what I'm into and don't be a bigot. <laughs> like, sure. I don't I don't think that's the, this to me is the same as trying to get into dress code politics. I think you have to go to the main point, which is that self ID. Yeah, but that's kind of my point is that because I do agree with you and I, my concern is in the end, like. I don't want anybody to lose their job. I mean, I think people should be effectively criticized. And I kind of want this man to lose his job, if I'm being honest. I don't, I know this is going to sound controversial, but I don't want this man to lose, even though I think he's objectively terrible at his, I don't know how good a shop teacher this person is. He's but a sexual predator. I don't think he should be around children. I think that's probably very likely, but I'm not going to jump to the conclusion that that is in fact the case. But okay, I will. Um, I'll do that for you. But I, <laughs> but I, I will say that what Neil says is kind of funny, just because when we put out that first article yesterday, I made a comment beneath our own article. And I, I tried to alert the, uh, the Oakville Trafalgar High School that he was wearing his mask incorrectly. And maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe he should be fired. Because, you know, he's not taking COVID regulations very seriously. And then Eva Kurilova responded and said he'd be probably more likely to get fired for that than probably. for wearing the giant prosthetic breasts with two-inch nipples slapping kids in the face as he's walking around the classroom. And it's very true. And it's kind of like, it reminds me of Yaniv, which, sorry, Amy, to bring up this trauma of this heinous individual. It's okay, um, I've been traumatized by many things <laughs> since that's happened. <laughs> but Yaniv, like the the thing people need to remember about Yaniv's cases at the human rights tribunals is that Yaniv was not like the, the cases were not unsuccessful because Yaniv had attempted to have women coerced legally into waxing the scrotum, as it were. Um, Yaniv actually lost those cases because of uh, improper conduct. Um, so it wasn't even that Yaniv had attempted to force women uh, estheticians. Which I, I think was an out for the tribunal. I think Kusino, oh, before yeah. there was public attention, she called ball waxing critical gender-affirming care. 
Yeah. She used that behavior of Yaniv as a fucking out because of all of the heat that she was getting because feminists showed up. You're correct. And that's exactly the point that uh, that I just wanted to make was that Yaniv did not lose those cases. And people forget this. And they often think Yaniv lost, uh, you know, the cases because he was trying to force women to wax his ball sack. And they shouldn't have been forced to do that. And the law agreed. No, the law actually didn't agree. The law would have sided with Yaniv if it weren't for the tremendous amount of improper conduct that Yaniv had conducted, including uh, going to one of the estheticians' homes at night. She was pregnant and trying to lure her from her home. Stuff like this is what actually caused Yaniv to lose the case. So while it's funny uh, that we're discussing this, I just want to keep that in mind, is that often um, these little tiny administrative bureaucratic bullshit things are actually more are taken into more consideration than basic rights and dignity and child safeguarding. And that's, that's exactly the reality my of the world that we're living in that will just disagree with Neil that this person should 100% lose their job. Because I think any, uh, any person, any adult who thinks that this conduct is, is appropriate in front of children is showing that they are a tremendous safeguarding risk and have absolutely no business teaching kids. Well, I guess that is my point. And I guess, maybe to try and state it a little more clearly. Um, it's not that I, I want them to lose their job because they're displaying themselves inappropriate in front of kids, but that's not going to happen in Canada the way our laws currently are. It's much more likely that we'll get them on a technicality because they're ineffectively, you know, they're teaching bad woodworking safety to kids. And while when Very I say I don't want them to lose their job, it's because I don't want them to have ammunition to go after people like Amy either, who wasn't even doing anything during work hours. It wasn't part of her profession that's getting her criticism with the regulator. But I just I can't feed more of that into the system. All I can do in good faith is put forward a criticism like that and hope that, you know, the people that are hopefully the adults in the room can listen to that because they won't get accused of being a bigot. They won't get accused of being a transphobe for worrying about woodworking safety. And I know it's stupid. That's not the argument we should be making, but it's an argument that everyone can make safely. And hopefully what that results in is that kids aren't exposed to this behavior in that woodworking classroom anymore. And if that's, if that's what it results in is that this individual is no longer dressing this way, teaching woodworking to kids, I, that's a step in the right direction, even if it's not where we want to end up. I definitely understand where you're coming from, and I can appreciate that sentiment. But all I'll say is, from my own personal opinion on this, um, is that I feel like this is the exact reason why I don't think there's going to be really any success on the gender ideology front anytime soon. So even like the the question that's being asked in the in the title of this space, are we re reaching peak trends? Well, no, so long as child safeguarding and women's humanity and dignity continue to take a backseat to bureaucratic red tape. I agree. Um, I want to win for yeah. the right reasons. And the right yes. reason, as Anna said, is women's rights and child safeguarding. That's how we should win and want to win. And I, I have no interest in trying to win on technicalities because that is a very short-term solution. It does nothing for us in the long term. We have to win with big court cases. Go. And that's Ethically, exactly why what you're doing I, is so yeah. important, Amy. 
Uh, I, absolutely. Yeah. Thank I you. think that's I why just, they're I think, I think we have so many hands and um, people waiting patiently. So I, we could go on this um, particular line for, for a while. But thank you, Neil, um, for your uh, observations. And um, I just need to move on now. Um, so let's go to James. And then we had a bunch of people enter the room. And I uh, admit that I did not jot you down. So I'm going to try my best, but let's go with James first. Hi, James. Oh, hi. Hi. Thank you for uh, letting me speak. Um, uh, I just wanted to address a question earlier regarding the gender ideology, why it's spreading so fast. Um, gender ideology is a, a neo-religion. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I taught sociology for 12 years in, in, in university. And I can tell you, it's got all the signs of, 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 of a belief structure. It's got, it's got adherences. It's got all the language. It's even, it even has a kind of ascendance thing, like transcendence when you go to gender euphoria, they call it. And I know it sounds very strange, but, you know, there's Scientology. And when it's, when it's a religion, it's, it's really a self-motivating factor. So you have a bunch of people who, are, who have activated that kind of religious hardware in their brain. And they they sound pretty insane, but I'm I'm telling you there are many 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 civilizations where where people like you are sitting in like bars or whatever you know talking saying those those other religious those those religious people are insane they can't really be taking over the society. I can tell you it happens so many times, and societies can quickly go into complete chaos over over some absurd beliefs. It gets that gets uh, that get, get some traction. So I don't know if I have any advice for you other than you know, bumping that person into the saw. But I'm American. I'm I'm a little dark. Um, you know, I mean that would be. I mean he would be a. It would be a lesson for the kids. It'd be like, oh, I would always respect power tools after seeing that. And considering a you know kind of a gender affirming case there. But anyway, teachable moment. <laughs> well, yes, it'd be a teachable <laughs> moment. It would be you know, I mean definitely losing his job losing a hand um anyway so uh again i i would i would encourage you to look at it like a faith and and realize that 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 people over there they may sound insane but they believe fanatically in what they're doing and unfortunately when faiths get challenged they often get violent and that's why you see the violent and, and those death threats and all those horrible things happening because they can and you know they can they can turn on an instant. I mean, look at Salman Rusty. He, he, he wrote a novel way back when, and, and there's still people after him, and one of them tried to kill him. And I'm afraid that you know people like uh, J.K. Rowling will be in the same position. If this thing falls and people start getting, getting up and finally standing up, th th they'll be around some time, and they'll be quite, um, you know, they'll quite be, be quite um, um, very... Uh, uh, very dangerous. So anyway, that's all I want to say. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, James. Um, I want to go to Amy Souza. Hi, Amy. Welcome. Thank you for coming in. Uh, thanks for this space. This has been a really great conversation. I just appreciate all of you ladies and everything you've you've contributed so far uh, to this discussion. And I really want to underline uh, that last point that that we do. Um, if we don't if we don't win for the right reasons, then it's it hasn't if, if we if we get this teacher fired for the wrong reasons, it gives us no gains. Uh, and I want to go back to the students because that really 
struck me in in the opening of how this story even came about because it, it came about because students are leaking this and it really occurs to me that these these kids are crying out they are asking an adult to pay attention the fact that they are leaking this the fact that they are taking videos and posting it is them saying we are uncomfortable with this but the adults in the classroom, the adults at the school are not listening. And it's, I mean, it's such an obvious safeguarding failure to anyone who has eyes in their fucking head. Um, but it's being overlooked. And these kids are being abused in plain sight. You know, they are being ex uh, exposed to an adult man's sexual fetish in front of their eyes. Um, and I think, I wish, I, I would hope that there was a way you know, I don't know what the school board meetings are like there, and I don't know, I know in the United States, for example, anyone can speak uh, at a school board meeting. You don't have to be of that school district. So, you know, I know that myself and other women in the United States have testified at school board meetings that are not in our uh, districts per se, and I don't know how it works there because ultimately is there a way that parents and um, and women, concerned women could speak up and just call this out and flood the school district with just open dissent um, and, and, and just calling out the red flags and the safeguarding failure of this. Well, Amy, you know, um, Carolyn Burjoski uh, tried yeah. to do just that in a very respectful way as a teacher and was was shut down within minutes and was her, mm -hmm. her her mic was taken away and she was ejected from the meeting it was a zoom meeting um this is the environment that we are dealing with now it's 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 so stifled and it's it's so authoritarian that um yes. parents yeah go ahead amy no i'm i'm totally agreeing with you i live in new westminster bc it's a it's 20 minutes outside of Vancouver. Our local, there's a local mom's group uh, with the, the last time I was in it, it had more than 5,000 women and there were meetups. I'm banned from the group. They have a no turf rule. They're, the people who run the group include school teachers and school board trustees in my community. Um, and I think even like a city councilor. And, I, and I'm banned from that. So it's also, you know, that a lot of women who who go in this group, they see these are the people running the school, teaching at the school, running the city, and they are going to bully and exclude anyone who's critical of this ideology. So it's very intimidating for mothers. And then, of course, as, as May said, like Carolyn Bajowski, who... And I, I can't, I'm sorry, someone just, maybe it was Mia who just tweeted this. It was like, a, so you have Carolyn challenging the appropriateness of very sexualized books in elementary schools and she gets ejected and canceled. And then you have the man, the man with the enormous tits parading around in front of children. That's totally fine. So it's all, it's fucking, it's all backwards. And I... Yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I just think that we need more of us to band together and talk and form groups of women who 
are like, we're, we're done. We're not taking this anymore. And fathers too. I know a lot of men are here. Yeah, I think that's really important. We are coming up on almost two and a half hours. So let's move through the hands. We're, we're, we'll probably um, be closing up soon, but I just really want to um, get um, some more speakers in. So this is how we'll go. We'll go Women Exist, Jay Thomas, uh, White Wabbit, and then we'll have Rampart. Go ahead. I get such a kick out of White Wabbit's name. Um, okay, so two two little things. I put a couple of uh, bits in the in the nest there. One was from a lawyer who, um, an anonymous lawyer who, contacted me online, um, saying, "You guys are going about this the wrong way. This isn't so much about C sixteen. It started in in Ontario in twenty twelve and." Uh, it's the Ontario Human Rights. Uh, Ontario is is the where the push is coming from, and that was really interesting to me. I'd like to explore it and find out if that's true. Um, and he was also he or she, I'm not sure, was also saying that um, this is it's human rights code that needs to be challenged because they have put these human rights codes, gender identity and gender expression, into the human rights codes in just about every province or every province. So uh, um, there's that. And then there's also somebody Somebody was asking, um, I hope parents are doing something. Anyone can do something. Anyone can send in the complaint form to the Ontario Teachers College that I put in the nest there. Um, and, and this is like, I am appalled by this. I, I, I knew it was coming. I mean, we all knew it was coming, but I'm I'm appalled that they are that this school and this board is putting this man's fetish in front of kids' protection. I just it's they they're not caring about their job, which is teaching children in in a, a safe environment. This is not a safe environment for these children. And I, I'm, I just wish I could applaud the boys because it, it was some, some boys and some girls who put out this information out to the world asking for help. And I totally agree with you, Amy. They, they're asking for us to be adults for them, to be, to be the adults in the room because their, their teachers and their school board is not being the adult in the room. That's all I wanted to say. Thank you for the space. I wish I had caught more of it, but keep going. Yeah. I don't want to take up too much time. It's recorded, so you'll be able to go back and listen to it. And then it will be made into an episode for Gender Critical Story Hour. So um, I hope you get a chance to do that. Yeah, with regards to the, uh, uh, the human rights uh, codes, that is correct. The, it was first put in gender identity and expression were first put into human rights codes in Ontario in 2012. I believe it was called Toby's Law, and it was um, it was uh, put forward by um, Sherry DeNovo, an NDP uh, MPP at the time. It, that and then I think the next one might have been Nova Scotia. And but what we've seen with C16, I mean, technically that lawyer is right. C16 just happened to make what had already been going on provincially turned it into federal legislation, right? But it also not let's let's remember not only did they amend 
the Ontario, the Canadian Human Rights Act, they also amended the Criminal Code of Canada to include it in that as well, right? So this is like a two-pronged attack on a federal level. But what was going on culturally at that time? I mean, it came into law in 2017, but 2015, this is when everything just in the culture just exploded with this gender identity stuff because it was in pop culture with the Caitlyn Jenner and the I Am Jazz and the Orange is the New Black and the Transparent and everything. Like we were being hammered in pop culture. And so and, and at the same time, we had federal law that came came into place even though you know 2012 there were some people who were taking advantage of of the new legislation it wasn't on radar we didn't have the numbers of kids as we now know in the last 10 years in in Canada the UK the United States anywhere between a 4000 to a 6000% increase in girls presenting at gender clinics it is a social contagion you know so yes now, what's happening is with the human rights uh, legislation federally and provincially, the policymakers uh, are, are um, over-interpreting the law, right? So in their rush to uh, be progressive, enlightened, woke, you know, self-righteous, they are taking this human rights code these acts and codes and they are applying them in massive overreach which is overtaking the charter rights which in which sex is the protected characteristic right I would say so, that this just jumped into my mind but if you wanted to sort of make an analogy it would be as though let's say religion was not included as a protected characteristic until recently. And then it was added in the last couple of years. And then suddenly we were told, you know, you, you are the most horrible, exclusive religious phobic person on the planet. You hate people. You want to erase their existence unless you agree to say the Lord's prayer before you eat every time. Or unless you're willing to do Sunday mass, because like, how dare you? How dare you deny their rights, which are very new and trendy right now? And it's, you know, as and someone else I think in the questions brought up like gender identity is a new religion. It definitely is. It's about mind body dualism. That's not something that I believe in or agree with either. Um, but it it's like this one. It's a single protected class in the charter or the human rights codes of various provinces that because of our culture right now is is being given precedence over absolutely everything else and priority over absolutely everything else. And anyone is everyone is too afraid to stand up against it. And it's just it's just fucking ridiculous. Like nobody has ever considered before that we're, we're secular it's like you can you can have a religious society that or sorry you can have groups of religious people in our society we don't have to have you know we we don't have to say their prayers we're still secular we don't have to actually believe in what they believe but when you enshrine gender identity into law 
you are taking a religious belief and you are enforcing a religious belief onto the population. They're the new sacred cast of secular life and it, it, of techno, a techno um, medical sacred cast. They are. And it's very, it's, this is why it's different than any other characteristic that has been enshrined into human rights law or into the charter. It's that there's no other comparison. No, there's nothing else that forces you to behave or think in a certain way. But if you add gender identity into law, it's essentially forcing you to believe in something that most people don't believe in. And be punished if you don't go along with it. So, yeah. The thing about also doing a charter challenge, Women Exist, is that, as it's been explained to me, that, you know, charter challenges um, generally cost about a quarter of a million dollars to do, right? So you have to find have the right case and you have to have a slam dunk because this will set a precedent. If you fail at a charter challenge, that's it. You're never going to have another chance to go back and revisit it. It will have been decided in the highest law of the land and then you're done with right? So in order to have somebody, it has to be a very clear case. And it has to be somebody like, as Amy knows, it's an arduous process to go through um, doing this uh, sort of uh, legal challenge. And um, not everyone has the fortitude to be able to do that, right? So it just makes it extremely difficult to be able to do. But I'm not saying it's not going to happen. It's just got to be the right the right case as well. So that's just something else to keep in mind. Um, so thank you for, for that, the question and the comments, women. Let's go to Jay Thomas. Hi, Jay, how are you doing? I'm good, how are you? I'm okay. Um, I, I got excited when Neil was talking, um, so I'm gonna bring that back up. I think that if you, if anybody wants my opinion, <laughs> I think that the the case like you're this, you're not coming through all that loud. If you could get closer, can to you your hear mic. me now? That's that better. better. Yeah, okay. go ahead. Um, well, you had just covered that it's an arduous task task to get this, you know, get a lawsuit all the way through. And and um, when Neil was talking about woodworking, I thought, you know, what about the grammar grammar teachers? You know, like they've got to be totally frustrated with the pronouns. And what about the dads? What if a dad, you know, went went to you know did like a follow the student day every day a different dad did that in the school and what if um you know the mom's sidewalk chalked what if what if we squeezed this because like for the case to go through you would need support and these efforts from just you know people that have their own specialized skills or their own reasons or their own way to get through loopholes of you know being called you know a hate hateful person or, or you know getting the I, I'm not I don't I'm not that familiar with Canadian law but I know that you know if if you even resemble you know something like transphobia you're you're in trouble right but like don't do it on that level do it just like I'm I have a right to go with my daughter to school and then the other person has a right to you know say this is you know uh, uh, under woodworking you know and hit them just every direction I don't see the downside to that because the case you know the larger case would need support like that and then we'd be modeling behavior for the children the children would see that the adults care 
if we take it through like a two year battle or whatever through court, you know, are the children going to recognize that? I mean, they're there having to, you know, sit through sexual abuse every day. And I do think that, like, culturally, we need to raise the vibration. And, you know, like, it, it was interesting that Neil thought of that because, you know, he said, well, I'm, you know, I think I, he said something like, I, I'm involved in this too much. Like, he's making an excuse for being concerned about this. So he's starting, you know, people are starting to think of their own approaches. And I want to welcome that. So I just wanted to add that into the discussion um and this has been such a, a wonderful discussion thank you so much thank you jay and thank you for everything you do for those um who don't know uh rev femme street beat is doing lots of great work and you have another organization with some women and i'm gapping on the name right now and you can tell rev me Fox. Rev Fox. Rev Fox. And they go out and do a lot of protests and activism. And yeah, um, yeah you yeah. guys are great. <laughs> um, so, but I think you make an excellent point. It's just that parents have to show up. Parents have to be vigilant. Parents have to be on surveillance duty and, and be there and model for the children, right? And maybe the more <clears throat> responsible adult eyes that are around maybe the children will feel a little more supported. And I think you make an excellent point on that. So thank you. Um, let's go to White Wabbit. How are you doing, Aaron? I'm good. I'm good. Um, well, not great. I, <laughs> if I'm slurring my words a little bit, I apologize. I actually had an accident in my workshop. Um, and I got hit oh, in the no. face from uh, some wood kicking back on my table saw. Oh, I... shit. <laughs> So my face is all swollen up right now. So I apologize if I'm slurring some words. Um, I run uh, a wood shop. I uh, So this is kind of, I mean, obviously, I just threw something into the nest. I hope it's okay. Um, I'm not as educated as uh, the rest of you in terms of the subjects and all that kind of thing. But obviously, you know how disgusted I am. You and I have had conversations about some of this. Um, I... <laughs> I liken it back to thinking on how the U.S. took down Al Capone. And it wasn't on murder, and it wasn't on um, all the other things. It was basically on tax evasion. But they took him down, and that's that, that made the headlines. They finally got him. And everybody knew how bad he was and how, like, everything that he'd done, but they had to get him on a technicality. And the thing is, is, like, if more and more of these happen, you'll start... I, I, I get where Amy's coming from in terms of wanting to win the big win and all that kind of thing. And I, I agree with that. But if more and more of these little things happen, like I, I, I was looking at this and the amount of safety that was just completely ignored for this guy to pretty much like swing his hair, swing his boobs, swing everything in there was abysmal. Like if 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 a typical male had been teaching that class, they would have been fired. So I've already like I the tweet that I put out today, I put it out to um, to OHSA, and I'm going to call them on Monday as well and ask them to please inspect the school and their safety. So I, 
you know what? I would encourage anyone that lives in Ontario to do exactly the same thing. Call OHSA, call any of the uh, health and safety boards to go in and inspect the school. We take one down and then we continue taking them down so that they know they're being made examples of and they know that they're being watched. They're being watched specifically because of the depravity, but they're being watched. So if they screw up, they're done. And OHSA will make sure that 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 man is fired. I guess, but when you consider mobsters, you know, mobsters control the police forces as well. So you you take it down to mobster on tax law, it's still kind of a win. Um, But I I still am going to stand behind the fact that I think that we need to win this fight on the basis of our sex-based rights and child safeguarding i don't and also just to say the al capone example it's really funny because i've been thinking about the al capone example earlier when we have the discussion with neil um the reason why they couldn't get al capone on any of the actual things that would have been associated with the the mafia is because they never actually caught him doing any of it that was the reason why they watched him and watched him and watched him but they could never actually get him doing something illegal they never actually found him personally executing an illegal act good point this person has tits the size of vw beetles in front of children we can see i see i'm looking at the picture right now <laughs> it's a new so car model every time you talk yes and next time it'll be a cadillac escalade but what i'm trying to say just don't that, just don't say that hurts don't make me laugh right now don't, don't say anything bad about G-Wagons. That's all I'm asking. He has Teslas hanging off of his chest. So the problem... Yeah. The, the truck models. <laughs> the, the cyber trucks or whatever they're called. Yeah. But so, so this is, again, I'm going to go back to precisely what Amy and I have both been asserting. Is that, yeah, okay, fine. You get this guy out of the classroom. And then... Uh, your your assertion uh they're going to make sure this never happens again well what precisely are they going to be emboldened to make sure it never happens again just that the next uh person who walks into the class with ford fiestas strapped to his chest just has them properly restrained when he's using <laughs> the saw not that he doesn't have them just that they're they're, they're workshop compliant like you're not setting any sort of a precedent I guess you won't have the protruding nipples. He's been following the Ford maintenance schedule. On yeah. Those <laughs> yeah. Like you're, you're not actually Regular setting any changes. sort of a useful precedent. It was the same thing with Yaniv. That didn't yeah. set any sort of a useful precedent for the protection of women's rights. And this wouldn't set any sort of a useful precedent for the protection of children. Yeah. And we're, we're just waiting. As many of us have said, we're just waiting for the the next you need because the door is still open you only close the door if you set legal precedents that protects women's sex-based rights i understand and again i understand but the thing is is like you could also open up multiple court cases on that aspect get get the fucker pardon my language get get him out of the classroom for now and continue continue moving forward with more like with the with the other uh, cases but in the interim um, get them out. Like that's that's what the kid. Th- this is exactly like what. Um, uh, sorry, I don't know the names, but the last person that spoke, 
was saying as well is like they're crying out for help. They want them out of the classroom. So get them out of the goddamn classroom and in the, in the interim, keep pressing forward with the other cases. Yeah, I don't... So that, that's an emergency type situation where you just want to like make sure that the kids are safe, right? So on the one hand, you want to, this is an urgent care situation. You want to do what you need to do to, you know, uh, put the tourniquet on and, you know, staunch the bl- blood flow, right? But that, by the same token, you want to make sure that, you know, the patient's entire body is, is healthy, Right. So I, I think I think it's it's not an either or. I think it's a both, quite frankly. But um, thanks. Thanks, Aaron. Um, and I hope your face is better. I'm, and I'm glad that it wasn't, you know, anything more serious. No, that. I actually it kicked back, hit me in the face and I snapped a tooth and a half. So the tooth has gone impacted <gasps> now. And I'm just like my whole Ow. I'm dying. I'm I'm chugging whiskey right now just to try and kill the pain because I couldn't get in to see a dentist. They wouldn't uh, see me with my face like this. So. get better soon did you throw that tooth in milk or what i don't know if that is actually a thing no oh no the tooth didn't like fall out i just cracked it right in half so i've got it like Uh stuffed with cloves and uh Mm -hmm. salt bath and and whiskey to try and uh build the pain so (laughs) oh anyways oh gosh next time you gotta next time you gotta wear a bra when you're working with that song Absolutely. Right? Seriously? My nipple almost got caught in it. It was crazy. <laughs> so. Tie your dollar store wig back into a bun. Yeah, that's very important. Safety first. Um, okay, I'm so just shocked we're he go... wasn't wearing heels. But... Are you shocked at what? I said I'm just shocked he wasn't wearing heels as well. But <laughs> I know, he's wearing sensible shoes. Wow. There you go. He I was knew. looking for that. He, he yeah. will. It takes a little bit to get <laughs> practice enough to wear them all the time. It took me a while. I wear heels every day now. I'm not joking, every day. And it took me a while to get used to them. So mm-hmm. I guarantee you he'll be in heels by the end of the year. It's a process. I tried, it's a, I tried it's a journey. but I was intimidating my wife, so... <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah. Um, it's a, sorry, my thing came out of my ear here. It's a gender journey. Okay. Um, let's go to Rampart. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing really well tonight. Gender, thank you so much for this wonderful story hour. And a big shout out to Amy co-hosting tonight. What an informative space. I've learned a bit and chuckled a bit and been aghast as many others. And I would also like to call out all the speakers that shared and pumpkin just, (laughs) thank you so much. Give me lots of good chuckles, very clear information. And as we all know, um, sometimes it's dangerous to follow a rabbit down a hole, white rabbit, but I'm going to go there and then I'll segue back to the topic. But being the previous operations manager, of a construction company and having to apply and uh, comply with many occupational health and safety rules and regulations. I fully support what you've just said there. Any individual in Canada can contact the Ontario Occupational Health and Safety and lodge a concerned complaint. You can usually do this online usually anonymously. Now, what that does is it should trigger a full-scale investigation all the way up to the superintendent, and that will certainly get things going differently because regardless of anything, 
safety first. That being said, as a construction uh, owner and uh, managing operator, uh, it's called a fucking face shield, damn it. Now you got to go, oh, wait a minute. You're a self-insured owner-operator, so you probably have to pay for your own damn tooth repair. But you should wear a face shield. That being said, if I had an employee of that particular physique, I would insist on absolute protection. A big, thick leather apron would be required before operating any of that equipment. I saw no safety equipment whatsoever in the use of that radial arm saw, and I would have dragged that employee out of my shop and kicked him to the curb instantly because I would then be liable, liable for any damages. Hmm. There you go. There's your legal end, okay? Now, let's talk about the story hour. <laughs> Okay, first off, I, I, I got to give some credit a little bit to Fait Accompli because they kind of triggered a thought process. Is this guy so patient that for the last three years he's deciding to troll the entire internet, the entire gender issue, he's trolling it over a three-year period because of the audacity and the ludicrousness of what we see being presented on uh, these video clips all over the internet with, as we have heard tonight, through many, many, many comparisons. But for myself, if you're going to look at them as Tesla vehicles, thank God they're not going to catch on fire because that won't go out for a while. But I think more so it's something along the lines of a couple of Ford Pintos banging into each other and it's blowing up the entire internet. So is this guy trolling? I don't know. I think it through and I go, hmm, this one's a good one if it is, you know, but uh, because yeah. he's unique, uniquely positioned to do it. And uh, this means that, you know, if you take a look at the whole thing, this whole thing is coming about because it's positioned that way. And you've zeroed in on it with the human rights commissions across Canada, the provincial human rights commissions. Oh, wax my balls, Johnny. He really, he really started the ball rolling with an awful lot of people understanding that it is a problem with human rights. What is the problem with the human rights commissions? I'll tell you straight up. As a human being, if you want to understand what human rights are, first you have to start with a foundation of definitions. What is a human? To me, a human is a biological unit that's easily identified by two sexes. End of discussion. Your gender expression is completely your own construct and your own agency, and you can have that as a free human being. But other than that, keep your shit to yourself and get them boobs out of my way. <laughs> I just, I, I, I don't know. It's just, so yeah, uh, you got to address it from the occupational health and safety, and if every parent of every student in there did that because you zeroed right in on it, these are children screaming. There's an abusive issue happening right here. This man's going to, he's going to, his, his boobies are going to get caught in the saw. They're going to drag him in. He's going to cut his, his chest in half. And none of those kids have anything beyond basic understanding of scream or dial 911 other than compression on a wound. So it's absolutely ludicrous what we're seeing here. So, of course, well, call it might more. be less traumatizing for them to witness that than to have to spend day in and day out around a predatory male exposing his sexual fetish to them and they're not allowed to say or do anything about it. 
these children absolutely yeah. they, they have not they've been locked away under stress pandemic stress these children are psychologically and sociologically damaged over the next several generations and now we have this whole thing being presented in the school we have this uh, critical race theory and we have this lack of critical thinking and, and lack of two plus two equals four so obviously with a lack of education what's going to happen that's my question with the lack of education that our children are receiving from this kind of environment what is going to happen to the human race? I think a lot of us are asking that question. And I think we do have to get involved. Absolutely. I um, would, I, you know, a lot of people had... say homeschool, and I wish that I was in the position to do that. And I feel horrible that I'm not, able, that I have to subject my, I can't afford private school because I pay my mortgage by myself. Um, I have two boys. I'm a single mother. I'm going through a contentious divorce right now and I have no choice but to put them through public school. And so all I can do is talk to them and tell them about reality outside of school and talk to their teachers and try to make change on a, a systems level or on a Canada level that's how I try to do something because I'm unfortunately not privileged enough to opt out of the public education system for my children. And a lot of parents aren't. Um, so I think, you know, an easy solution is to say, go to private school, homeschool your children. A lot of parents like myself, that's not even an option. So we need something else. And what I think we need is for people to be brave enough to stand up and to confront the school system and to call this bullshit out. Totally agree. And I think, I think it's just little by little, uh, the conversations that I'm hearing, um, people really want to talk about this stuff. You know, I think they're just they're just bursting to, to talk about it, whether or not they want to talk about it publicly. That's the next step. So let's go to Bob. Hi, Bob. How are you this night? This night? <laughs> Doing good. Thanks. Yeah. Good. Great space. Uh, got some chuckles. That's for sure. But I, the, the only point I want to make here, gang, is I, I was in high school in the 80s. If a male teacher showed up in in shop like this or any class for that matter if the kids didn't take care of them first and throw them in the bfi bin behind the school the next day the parents would have showed up uh, all the fathers would have showed up and this guy would have been ancient history i don't know what the hell's changed between you know the 80s and now it's not that long ago but this kind of bullshit wouldn't have been tolerated for, for a second by by the students by us male students that kind of shit would, would wouldn't fly so that's just the comment I wanted to uh, to make. Thanks. I agree with you. And that's sort of what I was suggesting earlier is that why are men so afraid to stand up for the principles that you and, and I also I made a controversial Twitter post earlier where I said I, there's a male who I know who told me that women should be grateful for men for creating the safe world that we live in today. It's safer than it ever has been for women because of men, while also recognizing that men are the ones that pose the greatest risk to women. And for, I mean, obviously there's a contradiction there, but 
then when you also consider that so many men are afraid to stand up against gender identity ideology, they're not really offering a safe world for women unless they're willing to, as you said, just stand up and be like, this is unacceptable bullshit. We're not having it. And um, I, and someone else earlier brought up the social contract. It's not being enforced anymore. Um, and I think a lot of this would be curtailed if men were actually doing this. But as it stands, our culture allows these laws to be passed and people are so terrified to stand up that women and children, they just get fucking trampled on. And we live in a culture of victims and cowards. I have to agree. You, you do see those videos that go around and, and people are generally ex- um, aghast where uh, you see an altercation happening in public and um, instead of you know people rushing in to help the victim, they, they pull out their phones. And they and they get footage of it rather than like intervening and saying whoa 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 <laughs> you know stop stop you know this is there's something weird in the culture very very and I don't Bob I don't know exactly what's changed between you know in the last forty years but um, it, it, we've lost something that was very precious before which was a sense of civic duty maybe I don't I don't know. Um, so we're going to be um, winding down. So I'd like to um, have some brief comments and, uh, and then we'll go back from our um, listeners uh, and then with our guest, uh, Anna, I'd like to have some final thoughts. So let's, let's, go, um, let's go Rampart, then let's go Women Exist, and then we'll have, um, we'll have Anna and Amy wrap it up for us. Go ahead, Joe. Well, I will defer to Women Exist uh, to exemplify the example of the name, and I'll go after her. You go ahead, Women Exist. Thank you, gentlemen. (laughs) Thanks. Um, Two little things. One was um, to White Wabbit, I think it was. Um, I I highly doubt that this this man is going to be at work on Monday. I think he's going to be put on a leave. Um, I think that there is far too much. This is this is international news. I don't think he's going to be in the classroom tomorrow. Um, and I think it needs to be dealt with right away. But, but we need to be letting kids know that we're hearing them, that we see this, that it's not acceptable. Um, Truism, who is uh, one of the women I follow, posted the ethical standards for teachers in Ontario. And, it, you know, those those ethical standards are not being met. Plus, of course, the safety issue, my primary safety issue is is safeguarding for children. But there were also obvious safeguarding issues or safety issues in that video. Um, You know, nothing's nothing's being cared for here. Um, The other thing, oh shoot, did I forget it? Um, Yeah, I lost it. Sorry, it's getting late <laughs> okay um what i want to do i was i i made an exception for senna our friend senna to come up because we are uh winding down but i want to i want to hear from you so go ahead senna then we'll have rampart and then we'll have our closing comments well i'm so sorry to, to like distract that way 
because I wasn't, I didn't want to ever speak in this space. I just wanted to hear it. And I want to say thanks for that. But I think Women Exist said that you weren't sure if this man would be in school on Monday. And (laughs) I can hardly believe he was in school at this point. And other people have said there are a whole lot of safety rules that were broken here, as in he could saw off his silicone breasts with a table saw at this point. And it seems to be no problem to anybody. But that's not even it. It's not even about safety. Amy, Amy Eileen Ham has said this cannot be about safety rules. This is definitely about women's rights. There is no fucking way ever that this man should be allowed to parade around like that in front of children in a school at all, even on the street. I'd be laughing at that man constantly, but now suddenly I can't do that. And in Canada, I think it's a mess. It's a hot mess. But this is absolutely absurd. And somebody proposed the idea to me today that it might be a hoax. And I thought, no, it's not a hoax because there are videos, there are photos. It was a student that pulled that up. It was somebody else that posted the response from this school board about that. Where the fuck is the faculty? What? These, why are they not these, these people? Anything? They're fucking cowards. I have to say, years ago, because I've been a turf for a long time now. Years ago, when I was starting to come out as a turf, I had a friend who is a professor at an Ivy League school in the United States who was calling me out, calling me a turf, calling me a bigot. This is someone I've known for a very long time um, and claiming, oh, you know, like I'm I'm an intellectual. I'm a uh, I'm a professor in university. And then I at the time I said, here is Toronto Planned Parenthood throwing an event about overcoming the cotton ceiling. And the way that he tried to get back to me at the time was by saying, well, only this many people signed up to attend the event. And you're talking like this is this is an outlier. This is not the mainstream face of trans activism. And now if you look forward six years in time, he's still a trans activist. And his my argument has remained the same. My argument is still the cotton ceiling is misogynistic. It's disgusting. It's homophobic. It's lesbophobic. But his argument has changed from being like, that never happens. Only a couple people signed up. You're just being crazy. You're exaggerating. You're making a mountain out of a molehill to it's totally fine that that happened. Fuck you. You're still a bigot. Lesbians should fuck penises. Like they, these people have no values. Just they're, they're disgusting perverts with no values, no principles. And you can yeah. just, you can't even, 
it's as Helen Joyce has said before, like you don't even win in this culture war by engaging with people who are this insane. You just have to sidestep them. You have to sidestep the activists and you have to sidestep their insane narrative because it's so detached from reality. It's so absurd that like, no, let's just talk to the other adults in the room. There's no point engaging with people this insane. And, and like, fuck any administrators that would step up and defend Ford Fiesta tit man. Thanks, Jack. I saw somebody tweet calling them the Hindenburg tits. <laughs> also apps. <laughs> As I said in our, like, I don't, I don't want to make light of it, but I was like, oh, the humanity or oh, the huge man titties. <laughs> I mean, at this point, as you say, I mean, to uh, Helen Joyce's point that, like, you can't even engage. They are so uh, insane that, like, it's just a fool's errand to even try to reason with them. And the fact that we find humor in it, I mean, it's, 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 it's therapeutic. I mean, at, at a certain point, it's just that's the reaction. And Sorry, I'm going to sound like a dumbass here. What's a turf? Oh, okay. A turf okay. is a feminist that does not. Ag- a turf is a feminist that does not agree with transgenders being able to express or participate in the pursuit of women's rights. There's no such thing as transgenders, so they just call <laughs> yeah, themselves so makes, fucking stupid that, names. That that makes, <laughs> doesn't even that, have to do with with feminism. It yeah. just has to do with being female. Exactly. Agreed. And 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 the the other thing to know about that that term is that it is generally used as a slur. So when Amy um uses it and says, you know, before I started turfing, um it's it's our you know, reclaiming of a word to in order to defang it, right? So it's our N-word. It's our N word. Like we can use it, but it generally what's what happens is um, the trans activists will will use it as a slur. And it's it's in their world. Anybody who's a turf is like a, a, a dirty vermin, basically. So can I be a turf? Use it that way. Yeah. Well, but by saying <laughs> by you saying that transgenderism um, doesn't exist de facto, that makes you a turf. <laughs> but the accurate. Ac- acronym is trans exclusionary radical feminism which is not even an accurate term because um, radical feminism is a very specific type of feminism most of us are not that although we identify with a lot of it and we are allies of radical feminists Um, and that's a whole other issue but um, and the exclusionary part is a lie because we actually don't exclude uh we we actually include all females including the ones that have apparently opted out of being a woman like they're we're for all women even the ones who um say they're men right so we 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 see the we see the the existential issue of being a woman being a fully embodied human being as a woman right so we we're not excluded like we include we include them it's just that we're male exclusionary we're not trans exclusionary 
and many of us don't even believe that trans even exists because what do you tr like nobody can well, actually change sex right so well, you're born xx or xy so ultimately yeah anything else is just imaginary and even exactly and even if you do have a chromosomal anomaly um what is uh, has been co-opted by the rainbow people as intersex, but there's different words for it, but it's um, disorder of sex development or a, uh, a difference of sex development, or the other one is VSD, variation of sex development. And that's just like a rare disorder that happens with chromosomes, just like anything, you know, like you can be born with like, you know, um, six toes on your foot or whatever instead of five it's just you still have a foot it's still a foot and there's still toes right you just have an extra one um and the same thing with um dsds or vsds is that every person born with one of those um differences is either male or female like there's no third sex or and sex is not a spectrum so but yeah so that's that's what a that's what a turf is it has been actually officially recognized as a slur um, in British courts of law. So they do, they, but here in Canada, it's not recognized. And you'll, you'll see people in positions of authority and so on using that term. You'll see, you'll see the term being used on uh, Twitter accounts, the Women's March. You know, this is a turf-free zone. You know, it's been totally co-opted by um, what we call liberal feminism, which is the official uh, feminism of Canada and other places where by, the, you know, we they have now uh, accepted gender identity ideology and and the trans women are women um, cultish um, mantra and all that kind of stuff. I love so. these people who accuse us of being on the wrong side of history for being TERFs because... Yeah. You know what? Even if it takes 500 years before we get vindicated, we obviously will. Men are obviously not women. This, like, throwing a necrophiliac, murdering man into a women's prison is obviously not the right side of history. I don't give a shit how long it takes for people to become sane again. <laughs> but it's yeah. like but we we're, will we're be not vindicated. Be going down as the ones who have enabled this kind of insane predatory behavior. Yeah, and and like and even if even if our great grandchildren die thinking we're bigots, I don't care. I don't care. I would still fight for what I know is right. Truth and That's reality it. will always be truth and reality, no matter if yeah. the majority is all saying the opposite, right? Doesn't, it the, doesn't matter. The majority how long doesn't. It doesn't matter what the majority says. There is truth and there is reality. If there was social media when the Incan Empire existed and they were doing child sacrifices, I'm sure you know it would it would have taken hundreds and hundreds of years for those people to get vindicated. But I'm sure there were people who thought and knew that it was wrong. Like, who, who cares? Who cares about what people after you're dead think about what you did? Doesn't matter. Just do what you think is right in the present. Fight for your values and principles in the present. Yes. I think that's very important. That's an important point to make. It's just to not be afraid to... Not, not be afraid. 
And you know what? I don't want to carry on the conversation because I do feel like it is coming to a close. But the words assigned in quotations, assigned at birth, came from um, somebody having an anomaly. And I hate to discuss it because I am not somebody that has um, a DSD. But I do know that the trans uh, lobby, lobby is exactly what it is, did that. They used that as, like, they call it a third sex. And, I mean, I'm not, uh, (laughs) I can't even articulate the words at this moment. But I am telling you for sure that, no, no. I'm not even telling you anything for sure. I'm going to tell you another time, I think. It's just a mess. I think DSD has been um, paraded around as a third sex, which is exactly why assigned at birth even exists. Because parents of children that that you see like you observe and you're just like "Mm, I'm not really sure about that but they are still male or female but they're assigned at something yeah I saw a trans activist tweeting a couple of days ago about TERFs think that everyone who has an intersex disorder should receive surgery at birth but then they oppose gender affirming surgery for trans youth and again, you know, the only way that trans activists manage to smear us in popular culture and make people think that we're bigots is by misrepresenting our arguments. And there is not a single turf I know of who suggests that a baby born with a DSD should receive surgery to, cor- so, to quote unquote, correct their sex to whatever they most physically look like. That is a, you, that is something that was done decades ago. And we know now that it's wrong and no TERFs are advocating for that to happen anymore. They just lie about us and pretend that that's happening. And they conflate that with us uh, like, oh, but they want they want to harm DSD babies. But then they don't want uh, like genital surgery on trans children. And they make it sound as though we are the ones that want cruel surgeries done on infants when in fact they're the ones that want cruel disfiguring horrible surgeries done on on underage children they're they're master gaslighters and thank you for articulating that that i couldn't uh, because it really incenses it incenses me constantly but i would like to remind that the word turf is just another word for woman It's another word for I'm going to silence you, bitch. That's how it is. And I hope that one day in this world, we don't have to ever use that word because I didn't, I didn't decide that. I'm not an anything exclusionary feminist of any kind. I'm just female just simply female a woman but i would like to exclude absolute idiot moronic trans rights activists who deny reality that's the only person i would like to exclude 
hundred percent. Okay. And I'm not so- quite sure who exactly is, I, I've never actually seen anybody making that argument that, well, maybe I have, I'm not sure, but it, it was actually John Money who was the one who pioneered uh, normalizing or correcting surgeries for people born with DSDs. It, it was yes. their guy. And here we are today. I'll send, I'll send yeah. you the link, Anna, or I'll try to post it on our thread. But there, there was it was their fucking pre- guy. PRA, John Money is the guy who coined gender. Yeah. He was a pedophile. He was a uh, disgusting creature who did a lot of damaging things, who led to the suicides of two young men uh, because of all of his sick, perverted experiments. It was their guy. He was and he the one. he proved our points in his doing so oh sorry i didn't mean to cut you off and i but he yeah basically he essentially proved turf's right in what he did in in causing these two suicides to happen because he essentially showed that uh biological sex is innate and you cannot try to force socially and culturally a gender identity on someone because for the vast majority of people they're their gender identity or quote the way that they identify or behave it matches their biological sex well it's just that it's never going to make a difference like yeah. he had the perfect subject in um in the uh, bruce reimer he had a perfect subject in that this child was subjected to uh, particular gender conformity uh surgeries hormones the the whole um slate of it from infancy and that child still was never biologically different in so far as nothing made him any different than he was so if you can even take an infant and you can subject them to feminizing hormones create a rudimentary vagina or vulva i should say out of uh his genitals which had been botched uh or sorry they had been uh, mutilated as a result of a botched circumcision um, and you can raise him, quote unquote, as a girl, and that still fundamentally changed nothing about his behavior or his characteristics. And that really does demonstrate that there's it, it doesn't matter what you do or when you do it, because this is the other thing that trans activists like to argue is, oh, well, we need to uh, get the puberty blockers to the kids as young as possible so that they can, you know, then have a more successful transition later on in life and uh, get them on hormones early so that they will, you know, uh, look more like their affirmed gender and then they'll have more successful outcomes. Um well, I mean, Bruce Raymer had been subjected to all of those things, including surgery. <laughs> he had yeah. full socialization, surgery, hormones, all of it. Um, and even going even further into, into that, because John Money had uh, those awful pornographic sex therapies, uh, which were also supposed to enforce a sexual role upon the child that he was attempting to, to force into the, the wrong sex. Um, nothing worked. Nothing changed this child. Nothing changed his his fundamental thought process. Nothing changed his behavior. Uh, it was innate. It was locked yeah. in. Which is why it's at odds with what trans activists say. In, they argue that gender is a social construct. 100% a social construct. To the contrary that you see, and even a lot of feminists and radical feminists disagree with this but then you would have someone like dr deborah so or 
if you objectively look at the work of John Money, you can see quite clearly that gender is quite biologically innate to most people. Um, And obviously, not everyone fits neatly into gender stereotypes. But then, of course, that doesn't mean that they're trans. It just means that they are a little bit different than other people who belong to their sex category. Women exist if you want to have another comment and then we'll go back to Rampart and then so we're going to go fast now because we're going to wrap it up. So go ahead and then uh, we'll go women exist Rampart and then Anna and and Amy can have the last word. Go ahead. Awesome. I remembered what I was supposed to say Um, in response to Rampart. uh, What is what is a human? The, one of the goals of this agenda is to change what is a human, to remove the physical, the recognition of sex at, at, the, at the base of, of what is human, what it is to be human, and change that to allow for this ridiculous, outrageous, never going to happen uh, transhumanism where um, AI is also considered person has the has the legal recognition of personhood so in order to do that you have to take away the connection between female and and reproduction um, take away that very clear connection uh, that that says that, that we all recognize that women are the ones who have babies you know you have to you have to de-sex humanity in order to get that weird um crazy rothblatt version of the future to happen and that's what we we you know we're up against an existential threat here and and it's going to take all of us on board to keep humanity tethered to reality thank you for bringing that up women exist it's it's a really important point and we should probably do an episode about that what is the pipeline of transgenderism to transhumanism and jennifer billick is the expert in that one so i would love to have her on the show someday hey amy yeah no i agree there's definitely a connection between the the billionaires that are pushing transsexualism are also pushing transhumanism and i think that it's almost as though transgenderism or transsexualism is a step or like a foot in the door of transhumanism. Well, yeah. It will become more culturally acceptable if they feel that they're able to prove that we can sort of like hack the human okay. body and literally change our sex. And Rothblatt has said that, in fact, has written a book on it, Transgender to Transhuman. I, I can't remember the exact title, but has had... Um, talks at UVic on that very on that very idea, and has said very clearly in in text since two thousand and nine that that he considered transgender to be a step towards transhumanism, an, a necessary step. Yeah, and one that already had a major foothold in our culture for being acceptable, and you know, like even within the transgender community, the people that can most successfully do it are rich people who can afford all of the surgeries. 
mm-hmm. facial feminization surgery. All it's, it, it requires a lot it's... of plastic surgery. So of course, like transhumanism, if if we ever achieve that, which I doubt, but it would only be available basically to the billionaire class of humans. Yeah, it's man conquering nature at the at the at the base level, isn't it? It's it is. It's, it's playing God. Playing God, absolutely. Yeah, and now that he's he's now what part of the Mayo Clinic and and uh, revered all over the world, uh, we're on our way. Not not that not that that goal will ever be reached. I don't think, but that that we've got a, a techno medical society wanting to make humans the the newest commodity. Um, you yeah, know, we're cho- and, and chopping up lesbians. They, <laughs> if they see this as the natural stepping stone towards transhumanism, and these are the billionaire class of people on this earth, they have a lot of money that they're throwing behind this lobbying, which has been apparent to a lot of people. Helen Joyce talks about that in her book. She's like, this is not a grassroots human rights movement. This is a well-funded, highly strategic political lobby that does a lot of their work behind the scenes because they know that if most people were to understand what they're doing politically and they knew what the ramifications are, as we are seeing now with all of the stories we talked about today, a lot of people, if they had advance warning of this, they would oppose it. And now the laws have already been passed and we're just, we're backpedaling at this point. So and how do you perfect it? You get a whole lot of kids to elect yeah. into surgeries so that it can be perfected. They're just, they're just pawns. They're props in yep. a disgusting game. Get them early. That's what they're doing. And th- that's why that's why it upset me so much to see my daughter come home from the health unit with uh, a booklet that said that tells parents of six month old to thirty six month old babies that they have a gender identity and to be looking out for it. Yeah, that's messed up. I knew I talked about this. I was on the Giggle podcast recently. But I mentioned when I had my um, second son and as soon as he was born, the the OB there said, oh, it's a boy. Did Oh, you knew it was a boy, right? And then I said, yeah, I, I, di- I did as far as I know. And what I meant when I said that was that I know sometimes the ultrasounds are not accurate. But I think the way that this OB interpreted my statement like as far as I know it's a boy well I think she was thinking that I was talking about gender identity and that like oh maybe he has a penis but he's still a girl and this OB was like well there are only two options <laughs> and, and I laughed I'm like yeah I totally agree and then I felt embarrassed I'm like I really hope she doesn't think I'm some kind of crazy gender fanatic <laughs> but also it's like I I just finished giving birth I don't have the yeah. energy to explain right now that I was just thinking maybe the ultrasound was wrong. You can be forgiven. Yeah, you'll be forgiven for that. Good. <laughs> you did a you did a really important thing. <laughs> yeah. You just dated and birthed a human being. Oh my god. Um, okay, so so Joe, do you have another quick comment, please? I do a very quick final commentary. 
And one I offer in the spirit of compassion, and I'll say it as kindly as I can, I'll ask for your forgiveness instead of your permission, and I offer it in the spirit of love. I think a lot of this can be boiled down to the common denominator. You know, as a problem solver, I've always said the, the solution starts at the beginning because we want to get to the end of it, and anything always starts with the beginning. So when we trace back this entire scenario, this entire fiasco, this entire issue of pinto boobs, what we're dealing with is definitely a lack of judgment. <laughs> a lack of judgment, which speaks to, now I'll drill it right down using the example of, as aforementioned, pinto boobs, that lack of judgment speaks to lack of ethics speaks to a lack of morals and these are the common denominators that we see within the trans movement whether it be transhumanism transgenderism transsexualism any transitory now transition is always the issue in any system and humanity is a system predicated on exactly what we all know. And with that, I'll remind everyone, it was a little boy in kindergarten cop that clearly indicated to the world that little boys have penises and little girls have vaginas. And that's the end of the story. I don't understand how we've gotten to where we are today other than a volcanic eruption of ethics resulting in everyone's morals being melted to the point that we're in this mess. So stand up for what you know in your heart is right, no matter what. Because when I see a post on Twitter or Facebook showing some pubescent or prepubescent female who is proudly displaying a mastectomy I'm absolutely appalled at the depths to which humanity has actually fallen. Again, I wish you all well. And thank you again so much, Liza, Amy, Pumpkin, Women Exist, all the speakers tonight. What an informative and wonderful time. I look forward to hearing more from all of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And and I agree. I it's a horrifying time in our culture, and as as Anna mentioned, there's like a crisis of anonymity. So, if you can speak up, the tide, you know. And we said, are we reaching peak twa- trans twans? Oh my gosh, peak trans. That was our original question. We can we can be if more people are willing to say, hey, this is who I am. This is where I work. This is what I stand for. This is too much. So, uh, you know, like, I understand the fear. I understand that people don't want to put themselves out there. And I don't want to act like a martyr. And I don't want to act like a victim. But it's like, you know what? I'm a single mom. I am st- I'm going through a divorce that's really horrible. I'm paying a lot of legal bills for that. I I'm going through hell. And I'm still... Like, you know what? I can't walk away from this. I'm too principled to just back down. 
because this matters more than my life, this matters more than me, I can't. Like, I just, I have to do this. And I just want more people to join me in doing this because it will make it easier for every child who will be the victim of this ideology and every woman who gets victimized in a rape shelter or in a prison, like all of these vulnerable people need us. And, and it's like, who am I to say that my being able to pay my mortgage in a house that's really nice is more important than a woman in a prison cell trapped with a fucking rapist necrophiliac. I don't believe that's true. I don't want to lose what I've worked really hard for. But how can I ignore the plight of the most vulnerable people in Canada? I just can't do it. So please, like, just please come and stand up with the people who are willing to put themselves out there because we really need you. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Anna, final thoughts? Um, well, first of all, I'll say, Amy, you have my full and complete support and admiration for everything that you're doing right now. Um, really, I, I think I said to you the, the first time that we met, and that's <laughs> now a couple of years ago, and I was just so impressed by how much you took on your shoulders, and I'm, I'm still so impressed by it. And uh, really, I wish you the best, and if there's anything that I can do for you, as always, you know I'm, I'm just a call away. Likewise, I love you. Um, love you. Um, but I suppose with my final comments, I, I just actually, <laughs> you know, I'm really bad at censoring myself in case anybody's noticed. Um, and <laughs> I, there's been something that's been bothering me. And so I feel the need to just sort of say something on it. I don't really understand uh, all of this deference to men and this male bravado bullshit well, men back in my day would have taken him back out behind the trash can and fucking... Well, you're not. <laughs> you're fucking not now, are you? Like, you're not doing anything. Like, I, I don't understand this, this weird sort of fascination with that men are going to take care of the problem. The entire point of gender ideology is to facilitate, normalize, destigmatize whatever fucking word you want to use, degenerate, unfettered male sexuality. Very few men actually recognize their responsibility in stopping this. Even fewer have a dog in the fight. Gender ideology in action ultimately seeks to neuter women's ability to protect children, whether that be through uh, weaponizing female socialization, to create a fucking army of liberal Karens, liberal Karen soldiers to enforce idealism, or to uh, effectively destroy women's ability to properly safeguard children uh, through laws that would make them deemed bigots for doing so. And I don't need to tell you why they, they don't want women in the way of the kids. <laughs> You can fucking use your head and figure that out. And I can point to many examples, by the way, in, uh, in history that predate this one, and they had the same ultimate goal. So I'm honestly sick and tired of everybody daisy dancing around the fact that this has to do with normalizing degeneracy, 
And that is the ultimate goal of it. This is something that needs to be stated and acknowledged before we're able to get anywhere. That's why we haven't gotten anywhere. (laughs) Because no one wants to call it what it is. It makes men uncomfortable to hear it uncensored, so women shut up about it. Should sound fucking familiar. But uh, it reminds me of that uh, Oren McIntyre tweet. It's not rocket science. They're just evil and want to fuck kids. Can we use no more, no more daisy dancing as a hashtag yes. for my tribunal? Yes. <laughs> no more daisy dancing. <laughs> uh, I'm going to save my extended rants on this for another time, but it just it, I just had to say what I had to say. Well, I, thank I you for totally being agree. so direct and uncensored, Anna. And uh, we'd love to have you come back anytime. Yes. Your rants are awesome. Your humor's awesome. And you bring in the facts. So that's wonderful. And like so, so informative. And Amy? if I can make a super inappropriate joke, I would say like, you know how much I love the G-Wagon from Mercedes. I'm like, you have, bitch, you have like the G-Wagon tits of womanhood. Excellent. <laughs> Sorry. That was really <laughs> rude, but... With high I've got beams. the G woman. I've got the G wagon woman balls. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Closing remarks is the Cadillac ovaries. As She's were. got ovaries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was not meant at all. To like, I don't want to be misinterpreted. I love G wagons. And and I love dark humor. So whatever. You have the G-Wagon tits of feminism. Which is a very good thing. <laughs> Thank you everyone for coming. Um, and yeah. I'm, I, I Please join us in future spaces. And also send us a message on our Twitter account. Gender Critical Story Hour. If there's something that you want us to cover... Or even if you feel like you would be a good potential guest because you have some kind of story that you would like to talk about, just send us a message. We would love to hear it. Yes, we would. And um, we just love having these conversations. We don't do these nearly as as much as we want to, but um, we're just going to keep doing them and um, keep listening, keep talking, keep having interesting people on, and just spreading the word because... Um, as I always say, we're going to win this one conversation at a time. So thank you, everybody. I want to thank, again, Anna Slats. I want to thank Mia Ashton and Heather Mason for coming on as our special guests and all of the speakers who participated and shared your reflections on the topic and all the listeners. Um, thank you. Um, it's been a great night and it's been long. And thank you for sticking thank around you. to the very end. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. (laughs) Join us. Join us next time. Thanks for listening. Gender Critical Story Hour is written and produced by Amy Hamm and Esme V. End credit music by Nahanda. We'd love to hear from you. Tweet to us at GC Story Hour or email us at gendercriticalstoryhour at gmail.com. And if you like our work, please consider helping us with our platform fees at buymeacoffee.com slash gcstoryhour. Take care, stay strong, and keep talking.
Gender Critical Story Hour is sponsored by the mythical biological female. I'm your mother.